are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for the Lego Movie. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss the Lego Movie, I have with me today Christian Bulwarski. Let's not talk about my name. And with our Lego Movie tagline, Kelly Wand. All right, great tagline, Kelly Wand. That was awesome. <laughs> Wow, that's one of the best ones he's ever done, I think. It was so distinct. I mean, it really stood out from the other ones that he's done in the past. Uh, Minimalist. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was so understated. It was very subtle. It's kind of like Anthony Hopkins in Remains of the Day is what that reminded me of. Um, hopefully, oh. Kelly Wand will be joining us on this podcast. We'll we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Uh, there he is. Hey. <laughs> uh, so before we discuss the Lego movie, uh, I... I I kind of, I'm a little worried that I'm obsessed about that. Kelly Wan, was there a, a Lego movie tagline that we missed, or was that really it? Your silence was, was definitely... No, that wasn't it. Okay. All right, well, there you go. <laughs> Apparently that was it, because you did it twice, so at least... No, you didn't ask me to do it the second time. Ah, yeah, the so tagline's what? so nice. Yeah, you do it twice. I'm not paced like a Lego movie. I'm paced like a man. Do you want so, to hear it? Uh, yes, we, we would like. We didn't hear Jesus. it if you did it before. So, yes, like an asshole. <laughs> with all this setup, it better be awesome. Wait, you got to set me up. I don't know how to do it unsupervised. <laughs> Tell me yeah, what's the Lego yeah. Movie tagline? Occasionally, something's mildly awesome. <laughs> uh, so, I after seeing the Lego Movie, I had two options today. Um, I could either, and by the way, I apologize that we're a day late. Um, the reason for that will be revealed next week. Well. I tweeted this. Oh, my God. I got caught up watching that stupid True Detective thing, and I could <laughs> either go see the Lego movie or I could watch the last few episodes of True Detective because I was binging on it. And you guys were kind enough to say, you know what, Tom? Watch your silly TV show. We'll do the Lego movie a day late. So that's that's what's going on here. Uh, we're doing the Lego movie a day late. But I have since talked these two jokers, and now I'm talking to you, the podcast listening audience. I've talked these two jokers here into doing a true detective podcast with me next week. They've only seen a few of the, the a, a couple of the uh, episodes. They're not even up to episode four yet. We all know what happens in episode four. They haven't even seen that bit yet. Uh, so, assuming that you've seen all of True Detective, we too will have seen all of it next week. So, next week's podcast, because we don't want to see Divergent. We all love Charlene Woodley, but we don't need any more young adult fiction movies. That kind uh, of doesn't exist. Well, we're, so so instead of seeing Divergent, we're going to do a True Detective podcast next week, which is basically like seeing an eight-hour movie. Close enough. Um, Wait, so, can I say what you said in your next email later that night? Uh, well, that's if you, spoiler. I don't. I mean, I don't. I, I guess it's. I don't like. I didn't like True Detective. I mean, I and I've. I've went, hey, can we do I, the podcast tomorrow night? So I can finish watching True Detective, and then Lady went, it's not worth watching. <laughs> right. Uh, so the reason the podcast is late is to, to finish watching something not worth watching. But you know, you get caught up in the in, in the. I like it's good so far, but I'm not where you are when you wrote the first message. Nah, I, I don't think I would. I, well, we'll talk about it next week. We're going to do it next week. I think it's movieistic enough. And it I'm is sure very cinematic. We, I mean, we've done. Uh, we didn't do Sin Nombre, but we did his um, his Jane Eyre, uh, and I'm going to screw up his name, Kerry Fukunaga. Is that his name? We've we've done one of his movies before, uh, and I really like his direction. Um, Therefore, 
We'll do a TV show. <laughs> well, he directed all eight episodes. There was another writer who basically was the showrunner and created the show, but he let Kerry Fukunaga shoot it. And Kerry Fukunaga does his own cinematography, and it shows, by the way. You know what? We're getting ahead of ourselves. Tune in next oh, yeah. week for more of this about True Detective. Um, but what I wanted to say is after the Lego movie, which I <laughs> saw today, I could have – may also enjoy like True Detective. Well, I could have done two things. I could have gone to see Need for Speed. I just couldn't bring myself to walk into a theater to sit down and watch Aaron Paul driving cars and CG car crashes and stuff. I, I decided, you know what, I can't do that. So instead, I'm going to go watch the ending. I didn't even get to see the whole thing. Just the second half again of 300 Rise of an Empire. <laughs> oh, peop- the girls at work were complaining that there weren't any hot dudes in it. And they what? were disappointed in it. And I went, what are you talking about? The main guy is fucking killer. They didn't agree? No. Do the but. girls do the girls like that Dingus character, <laughs> that guy who we get a bunch of reaction shots of him, the the one that you and I Kelly Wong called the Dingus. I, I bet the girls think that he's cute. With his I didn't know how to pitch him without becoming him. <laughs> well, it's, <laughs> it's a real dilemma in life, isn't it, Kelly Wong? That's how people feel so, about me as well. <laughs> uh, but I think I'm dangerously sure. close to being really obsessed with this movie. Good lord, I love that ending. Well, wait, the ending's the part that you're obsessed with? But the rest. No, the whole thing, but that's just what I went in to see today. I got in the last third or last quarter or so of it. Um, Hmm. I think it's better. I remember thinking, like, I I like the beginning, but I go, well, that'll probably be the wad, and then it just keeps going. I I can't wait to see that movie again. I cannot tell you how much I can't wait to see that movie. Yeah. Maybe I, maybe we should see it in 3D. Like even even I'm willing to, you know, that's an yeah. excuse right there. Maybe you should go find out if the 3D is any good. Like if you need a rationale to see it again, I'm just gravity set past. That's how I would pitch it if I was asked to. to okay. Ancient Greeks. <laughs> good. Uh, did they understand I, gravity yet, Kelly Wan? Did they even have it invented uh, uh, yet? I think one of them put a stick on the ground and went, "Yep." Gravity. Okay. I don't think they did, given how high that cliff was that that dude jumped off of. Oh, uh, that's true. They didn't <laughs> throw rocks till Isaac Newton. Kelly, what's the Greek word for gravity? Uh, wine dark. <laughs> uh, all right. So, what did we see this week, Dingus? Besides me sitting through all of True Detective and seeing the last half of Three Hundred: Rise of an Empire, what else did we see this week? Did I back one fifty of it? Uh, well, this week we saw the Lego movie, mm. a 2014 adventure comedy computer animated stop motion toy based movie mm. about an ordinary Lego construction worker who has to save the world. Real quick, Dingus, go back and give us not the little plot bit you gave us, but the breakdown of what kind of movie it is. Let me hear that again. It's a 2014 adventure comedy computer animated stop motion toy based movie. Okay, you just be happy for all, it. I think all but two of those also apply to the Transformers movies. Ooh. Sorry. Wait, that's, that's a comedy. And, and, uh, Transformers 2014, 2014 right? Oh, all, excuse me, all but one of them. The only one that doesn't apply to Transformers, Dingus, stop motion. Ah, uh, well done. Right, the motion's nonstop. <laughs> all right, so Dingus, so there, that's, uh, that's the I'm plot synopsis, or the brief plot synopsis. Now tell us, uh, for instance, who's <laughs> in it and what rating it has. That was, that was a plot synopsis, Dingus, FYI. Yeah, it was a, it was a mini-opsis. <laughs> or myopsis, because I'm looking at it so closely. Ah, uh, um, gotcha. 
<laughs> it was oh, directed by it was directed by Phil Lord and Christopher Miller. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it was also written by them with story support from Dan and Kevin Hageman. It stars Chris Pratt, Kobe Smulders. Well, hey, hey, hey. really? <laughs> she had two lines, please. Doesn't oh, yeah, matter. Uh-huh. Kobe Smulders in it. Uh, Elizabeth Banks and everybody else who works or has ever worked or will ever worked in Hollywood. <laughs> well, I can think of one person who couldn't be arsed to be in it, and his name is Harrison Ford. Ouch. Too the soon. Rock's in it, though? Too soon. Which I guess is your point. Dwayne Johnson is in the Lego. Dwayne Johnson, there was no character who had previously been played by Dwayne Johnson appearing in the Lego movie. <laughs> and therefore, he beats Harrison Ford, who did have a character. If they had the Scorpion King, for instance, <laughs> show up in the Lego movie, Dwayne Johnson would have gladly lent his voice. The but Lego instead, one. instead, they had Billy Dee Williams, they had Anthony Daniels. Could Harrison Ford do his character? No, he's busy counting his royalty checks from End of Game. Making episode seven for the great, your favorite director, J.J. Abrams. You're right, though. I agree that The Rock would make a better Lego than Harrison Ford. Thank you, Kelly. That's all that I've got. this argument. Thank you. The Lego movie is rated PG for mild action and rude humor. (laughs) The action may be mild, but the humor (laughs) off the charts rude. There's there's references to butts. Did you not hear the word butt? There's uh, close-ups of Lego butts. There are even close-up images of Lego butts. But they're crackless, so they're not really butts, are they? Uh, it's like fucking well, cr- well, obviously, if there's a crack butt, it's PG-13. Oh, so the crack part's the forbidden fruit. Kelly, when your continued effort to discredit the MPAA is going nowhere, I'm sorry. I know. They, I those people know what they're doing. They're professionals. No. They're looking at – Kelly, Wan, why can't you see the children Wrong. the way they do? I'll grant you that it's going nowhere, but it's not because they're awesome. Uh, Lego Movie on Metacritic, is, which is the average rating from various reviews, Lego Movie is at 82. Oh. Now, if we go to Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> which is the percentage of reviews that are positive, the Lego Movie is at 96% positive. 4% of the reviews out there are like, nah, I didn't like it. Nope, don't go see it. Blah. Oh, I forgot to vote absentee. Uh, the Lego movie's been out for a couple of months. When it opened, it was, of course, number one on the weekend of February 7th, and it made a cool $69 Kelly Juan, what do you think of that number? It's not as funny as 11. <laughs> that movie, right. that, that number is so funny. Come on. It's uh, 13 funny, though. 69! Uh, uh, yeah, so, so Kelly Wand, uh, if. 96 is that transposed. Mm-hmm. It did not make $96 million, though. I'm sorry. No, but it was a 96 on one of those things you read. Remember? It actually has... Oh, right. I see. Good point. Uh, it has done very well <laughs> since then, of course. It didn't just open with it. It did just come out with a flash and then subside. It's gone strong. There's a Lego Movie 2 that's been announced for, I think... Really? The... What do you mean, really? Of course. This is a franchise. Of course. Are you kidding? I thought they wrapped <laughs> everything up, though, at the end. I didn't see a sequel being possible. Kelly, like, why don't you uh, let's look into that? Why don't you recount for us the events of the movie and then let the listeners decide whether or not it's wrapped up at the end? Maybe give them a plot synopsis a little bit longer than Dingus's. You mean do what we do every week? You mean talk about the ratings <laughs> that long? Dingus, what was your synopsis about a construction worker who does what? Uh, saves the world. Saves the world, right? Exactly. Oh, the world. Yes. 
What was the question? Batfleck. <laughs> so, Kelly Ron, what would you call a sonata? Oh, Titanfall sucks. Oh, what? Oh, I got to close my window. <laughs> was that T-Bone yelling at your window? Yeah, he's, 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 he's the worst person in the world. Was he telling me that Timefall sucks? What did he say? He says Titanfall sucks. Oh, Titanfall the game. He <laughs> thinks you suck and your orientation's in question because you like a game with mechs in it instead would, of hitting it. I would think that Z-Bone would like Titanfall, though. He just hates everything you say now. You've driven him over the edge. He used to make sense, and now you passed each other going opposite <laughs> directions. Uh, I do like Titanfall, and I understand uh, Kelly Wand is going to start playing Titanfall. I have it on good yeah, authority. Add me, yeah. listeners. <laughs> uh, speaking of uh, giant robotic toy-like things... Ah, see what you did. Yeah. Uh, Wait, Lego fucking Battlefield game? That's not a bad idea. You should write things. What was the question? Yeah, Kelly Wong, what would you call it if you were to synopsize the events of the Lego movie for the listeners? You're an expert. Kelly Wong, I'm guessing you would call it the Lego Movopsis? Yeah. Awesome. You're an expert. So, Kelly Wong, you have the right to be an attorney. Did I I screw that up, Dingus? I did. Did you just say... Damn it. (laughs) Why don't you just be happy for me? Dingus was, Dingus was running around the house doing lines from 21 Jump Street the other day. <laughs> I like that he was running. That's <laughs> <laughs> not interesting to me. But the thing is, after he, while he was doing them, I was like, well, yeah, sure, that was funny. But then after I went off and was doing my own thing, I kept thinking back and thinking, that was funny. <laughs> like it, it's like he sort of incepted me with funny bits from 21 Jump Street that the more I thought about them, the more I appreciated them. Uh, and why did I why did I do that? Because the Lego movie was produced by the same somethings or something, right? Is that true. Yeah, it was yeah. directed by the weird. same dudes. Come on. What are you talking about? Those are the Lego movie. I mean, those are the Twenty One Jump Street dudes. Yes, they, they specialize in making things good. Out Bill of Lord, dumb Bill Lord, and Chris Miller directed Twenty One Jump Street and Cloudy. That's why I told you to watch those two things. I thought, I didn't realize 21, I thought you were telling me about Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. I knew they did that. I guess I didn't realize that they directed Everything. Jump Street. Wow. Yeah. That's, all that's, the movies you liked. That's the reason I asked you to watch it. I they thought... Did Alter, they did King's Speech. I was thinking it was because of the 3x3 three three or something. I had no idea, Dingus, why you were watching a 21 Jump Street. Dancing in Silver Linings <laughs> and in Any Given Sunday. Did you say you have the right to remain an attorney? Uh, See, I totally screwed it up. I should leave the movie Rifts to Dingus. So, Kelly Wand, the... I I just have to tell you, if you watch 21 Jump Street, you know, you guys remember doing that podcast and how much we loved it? Or at least the two of us did. I don't know if Kelly even cared. What? Kelly was busy reminiscing about Your Highness. That's the movie, the comedy that he really (gasps) with. I feel like I've fallen out of the Lego universe and into the fucking... Oh, my good lord. Watching the beginning of 21 Jump Street is... Oh, my God. Are they doing 22 Jump Street or are they doing the sequel? Wait, you plugged your ears during the preview to the sequel when we watched it together and you went... Right. I don't want to see the jokes. I I will wait and see the movie. I wasn't even aware of his direction. jokes are in the trailer that aren't in the movie. I will watch. Yeah, the yeah, no, no. The same. Uh, Phil Lord and Chris Miller are both are the same dudes, and they're directing it as well. Well, maybe here's the point to say: I started watching Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, and I got like maybe ten, fifteen minutes into it, enough to see the premise and to get a sense of the 
of the sense of humor and decided I I don't know that I want to stick with this. Um, so am I correct that tw- that Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is not quite up to par with uh, Twenty One Jump Street and spoiler I guess Lego Movie? Well, um, I think you're not because but but it's hard for me to kind of separate it from you know I watched it at my kid's school with my kid I mean that's when I wa- I watched it in one of these sort of like we're going to all watch Claudia with the chance of meatballs uh in a fundraiser <laughs> that's what the kids said that's what they said and I I just went there dragging my feet thinking oh my god I'm going to have to through this and it, it's so it's so clever and it, it's just okay. It's 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 much better than it has to be, and I didn't know anything about it, and I really really liked it. But you and went with low expectations, and Tom. And yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 to and to think that these guys did Lego Movie and Twenty One Jump Street as well. Uh, and they signed this after Twenty One Jump Streets. Well, well, to watch Lego Movie and then watch Twenty One Jump Street again and see how. I mean, it's just great that these two guys are doing. Th- this kind of stuff back and forth, right? And I, I think Cloudy is great. I think Cloudy tends people's. I mean, I'll give it another chance, but it's basically the sort of thing where I, you know, if if the jokes in the first fifteen minutes, I'm like, ah, that's not really working that much for me. I, I sort of feel like, okay, that's its sense of humor. Like I could tell right off the bat with Despicable Me that I'm like, ah, this movie isn't for me. I'm not really yeah. like this. And I could tell right off the bat with uh, How to Train Your Dragon. I was like, whoa, this is awesome, and I'm totally into it. So I'll give Cloudy another chance, but it didn't work. No, for me. it's it's not on a it's not on a how you, how to train. It's not on that level. Okay, hmm. it's cuter. It, it, I mean, I I would say if if uh, I think that you're on the right par. If you're saying that it doesn't work for you after the Despicable meter, then you're fine. Okay, but Lego Movie, as we'll find, I mean. This thing was great, but let's wait. I got that thought. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Right, Kelly Wand. What do we got? The Lego Movopsis. Why don't you tell us what happens in this movie, and then we'll talk about it. And we can talk spoiler free. I mean, we can talk with spoilers because everyone by that point will know everything that's happened in the movie, right? Yeah. Although if they listen this long, there's something wrong with them, and they haven't seen the movie or right with them. So, Kelly Wand, I want you to drive it like you stole it. The Lego Moveopsis. Will Ferrell's psychotic, immortal, the devil, a terrible parent, and probably hates his wife since he has a basement full of 46 million Legos. Despite this obsession, he fails to notice his kid's been ungluing them all every night to tell himself creation myth the same way Sunday school does, using pieces of multicolored plastic. If you're going to leave your kid unsupervised and unnissed for 10 hours every day, maybe lock your basement door or invest in rats. Or craggle glue the door shut if you have any lying around. Sidebar, as a kid, I never got the appeal of Legos. I preferred my toys to come pre-assembled. Anyway, the kid uses Legos to make his dad as the devil fight Morgan Freeman inconclusively over an artifact (laughs) at the Earth's Lego core. (laughs) (sighs) But the devil wins and executes his evil plot of Usher again a time of peace and prosperity through industry and songs. This one dude, Tonka, is shy and cheery and eager to be liked by women, so he's a construction worker, although he doesn't know how to build anything, just knock shit down. He encounters a goth who wants to be the chosen one or go out with the chosen one, even though she's already dating Batman. To execute her somewhat nebulous plan, she puts on ninja clothes, i.e. a scarf over her face that she curiously unveils after she's spotted, to go digging around in piles of garbage and rubble for a mystic artifact called the Coop of Grace. 
that I guess she knows exists and where to find it, but not <laughs> does. The artifact's a red rectangle like a Lego, but way more powerful because it doesn't have any slots or holes on the bottom. Tonka hits on her by falling into a series of vortexes and tunnels that neither of them noticed. Somehow the cops get him out because the rectangle's now stuck to his back. Medical slash movie rating footnote, Legos can't die, although they do often fall unconscious, drink coffee, and have sex. A schizophrenic cop arrests Tonka for having an extra rectangle, but the goth chick, who I guess left earlier but called the cops to arrest slash excavate him, now helps him kill all the cops so they can go back in time to the 1850s. The goth explains in an alcohol and prostitute-free saloon that, like Tron in a racer head, Legos worship the man upstairs. Then Irish law enforcement officials show up from the future and everybody dies again. Batman also comes from the future the second it's almost too late and drives him to heaven, but it floods when the cops invade the afterlife. Fucking police state of consciousness. Morgan Freeman turns out to be a badass like Yoda, but dies after accomplishing nothing. Also like Yoda. For doing so, he wastes his last breath. If there's Star Wars in it, I'll find something to write. He wastes his last breath telling Tonga that there's no prophecy and no chosen one, and the whole prologue starring him was kind of mostly bullshit. They both forget the rectangle glued to Tonka's back for now. Heaven's prone to flooding, which actually does make sense because clouds and humidity. But just as the survivors begin weighing the pros and cons of plastic cannibalism, a pirate ship shows up. Meanwhile, in an evil office building, to inspire the schizophrenic cop, the devil glues his single-faced parents to their front yard which also seems to be in his office. Back at the pirate ship, Batman arranges the murders of Han Solo and Lando to steal their hyperdrive and somehow gets it back to the pirate ship on foot without the Star Wars characters noticing his or its absence. Since it's got no hyperdrive, the Millennium Falcon gets eaten by a Lego space worm. Even though in Episode Five it didn't have the hyperdrive, it still escaped. <laughs> My angry nerd accent, a little too similar to my default voice, probably. <clears throat> a bunch of things in a basement happen. Among them, Morgan Freeman comes back as a ghost to tell Tonka that telling him he's not a chosen one before was meant to inspire him. Then he bails again, and Tonka falls out of the universe, but for real this time, and also downwards, and gets stepped on by a live-action kid, who seems oblivious to this, although I thought he was the one telling the story. Live-action Will Ferrell comes down the stairs, realizes he has a son, and yells at him. He's all, I got one tube of glue for 47 million Legos. <laughs> These keep-out-and-don't-touch signs took forever to make. Do you mind? Instead of the kid going, Dad, you don't need to use glue, they're Legos, see? Their bottoms got slots and holes and shit, just like mom. You only need glue for Lincoln Logs and to make Play-Doh taste better. Also, you want to be anti-glue, just keep leaving the cap off like you've been doing. <laughs> Take that, third act. The kid hands Wolf Ferrell a Prisher Freistall? Prisher Freistall with the same hair Wolf Ferrell had in Talladega Nights, which, because it's the end of a kid's movie, or Return to the Jedi, changes the psychotic adult's entire personality in seconds, so now he wants all his kids to touch everything he has downstairs, no matter what color it is. They put the Coop of Grace back on the glue so it can never be used again until they take the cap off, or buy some more. Then Will Ferrell's all, by the way, audience, I was a metaphor for piranha. the end yeah you have to say the end i never oh. know 
I is there going to be a button? Because I'm going to sit in the theater and wait for the credits to roll and be very disappointed when there's no button. Is there is a button on the synopsis? But out of season, it's an Easter egg all year round. Is that what a button is? Maybe I'm using it wrong. It's just that little uh, point. I accept your bluff, Tom. Uh, we, we can call it the shawarma if you want. The shawarma. Yeah, Kelly Wand. Sounds vaguely racist. Uh, all right. Well, Kelly Wand, thank you for the synopsis. Um, oh, this is a tough one. We were in an evergreen opsis phase, and then fucking Lego movie is too hard, dude. Why is it hard to synopsize, Kelly Wand? Well, because it's a kid's movie. It's psychotic and wacky, and the joke's already in there when I get there. It's like mm-hmm. 30. Just like you. I was say, it sounds like something that you would like, Kelly Wand. Is that I true? I brought 21 Jump Street offices, and it was the same. Like, these guys are already ahead of me. They're already <laughs> off. And you're just kind of like a dog chasing a car, and you don't know what to do when you catch it. Chasing offices. <laughs> same tail color. I don't know what. Well, Kelly Wand, did you share – so I know that Dingus – because Dingus has a little boy who loves this sort of thing. And actually, Dingus's son was the first to see this. Dingus, he went to a test screening, right? Right. Like last year. Now, uh, so the early word on the street was from Dingus' son about this movie, but I, having not seen Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I really had, was not, and I know people had said, yeah, it's great. And by the way, I've heard the same thing about Wreck-It Ralph, still haven't seen that. I've heard Frozen is great, still haven't seen that. Um, I heard Lego Movie was great, probably wasn't going to see that. But we decided this week to see it instead of, I I forgot what other, oh, Uh, instead uh, of the Need for Speed movie. uh, Oh, yeah, I regret nothing on that front. Yep, and as this movie was unfolding, even going to the theater, I was like, oh, God, i got to see the stupid Lego movie. Um, but, jeez, these guys really – are Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph this good? Is that them, too? No, but there are other, other... other animated movies that people have Dude, there's loved. there's like five Ice Age movies, and none of those are good. I've never had someone say to me, you have to see the Ice Age movie. I've heard, that, <laughs> I, I've heard that about Frozen, and I've heard that about Wreck-It Ralph, and I've heard that about Lego Movie. So there's now I am thinking... Ice Age movies, then Ice Ages. So, so now I'm thinking, because people were so enthusiastic about the Lego Movie, maybe I should have listened to them about Frozen and Wreck-It Ralph. Mm-hmm. And I guess neither... Oh no! Dingus has actually seen. Frozen. No, Frozen. Uh, I I am a very big Frozen component. Oh, great, Kelly One. We have to see Frozen. Kelly One, will you go see Frozen with me? No, I just did my kids. I can't bear the previews before the kids movie. All right, well, talk yeah. to me then, Kelly One. As a discerning adult uh, with a, uh, a very specific sense of humor, how did Lego Movie work for you? I really liked it till the live action bullshit redemption shit at the end. And I'm against messages in all kids movies because my favorite ones as a kid didn't have any. And I was always, there was really, hold on, hold on, hold on. Willy Wonka doesn't have a message. Well, what is it? The message is that fathers are terrifying, but ultimately <laughs> benevolent. No, that's that's Wait, Charlie. What? That's the Johnny Depp movie. Yeah, you're making that is that's, no, that's no, not a Willy Wonka movie. No, no. I think Who's I think that Gene Willy Wilder. Wonka? Gene Wilder is is freaky in the Willy Wonka movie. Yes. Well, that's a mess. That's not the that. So you're saying that's the message that's of the not movie? Not the message. Is that fathers are terrifying, but ultimately benevolent? Yeah. I think that's the point of the G1. Hey, he's not the father of Charlie Bucket. No, but he represents a father. Charlie's a fatherless kid. He's got his that's grandfather. What? Where's is that really his dad? Where's that, that old man that he goes into the the, oh, the the first one? I'm forgetting now. I thought Mr. Bucket was in it, but not a dentist or not no. a, a no. toothpaste guy. Oh, God. It's all tooth related. Wait, Dingus, Dingus, get in here and tell. It d- sounds d- like he's. If I'm wrong, tell. Are you are you supporting Kelly Wan's assertion that there's no point to the Gene Wilder Willy Wonka movie? That there's no message to it? Oh, there's certainly a message. It's okay. it's not just it's in the line the. Uh, um, 
so shines a good deed in a weary world. It's it's. Thing is, can you say it like you're not drunk? What was that? I couldn't tell what you were saying. There's lots of negative messages too, like don't chew gum, pick your nose, eat too much, watch too much TV, unless it's really long. No, it's so shines a good deed in a weary world. It's it's that eventual moment when he makes the right choice not to sell out. When he doesn't, I mean, it's not. I mean, maybe maybe Willy Wonka is a father figure, but. He's with him far too short a time. Charlie Bucket doesn't have a father figure. He has his grandfather that he is helping through this situation. Uh, and that's so shines the good deed in a weary world is that moment where Charlie makes the choice not to sell out. I mean, that's what the... Grandpa Joe, bro. So, Kelly Wan, I think the fact that Dingus and I both disagree <laughs> about what it could be, and actually I would defer to Dingus because I've only seen it. I've, I haven't seen it probably as much as he's seen it. I'm not as close to it as he is. But I think you're crazy to think that you saw children's movies as a child that didn't have a message. I think the message – the ones without I think, I don't think there is any such thing because I think any movie that's made for children has some kind of point, even if it doesn't mean to, even if it's just the kind of pap that gets thrown up on – Dingus, what's that stuff that your kid watches? They get thrown up on like Save for the Bell or stuff. There are messages there. Kids watch things and they call messages from them. And so I yeah, think, I think that – hold on. I, I think that the better movies are more intentional and sometimes subversive about the message. Uh, and I, de- I definitely think things like the Willy Wonka movie have messages. Even yeah, Wizard well, of Oz for Pete's sake. Uh, Well, like Johnny Sacco movies and movies where just like – Ninjas fight robots and shit. Like those seem to have messages. So I like maybe it. that I would grant you, but and stuff. So, so a, at any rate, you liked this, but once it got to the message part, it sounds like it alienated you, or for whatever reason, you just thought it was BS. At well, that started. Well, then I started pondering, like, wait, is the kid telling all this, or is it the dad, or is it the Legos telling it? And they're like, I started getting confused because I was really enjoying the world that it had built of the Lego universe and like trying to figure it out, and then the fact that. Can I? Um, yes. But so let me let me draw. Is there a parallel here for you? And I don't know if there is. But uh, when I, when we saw when we saw nonstop, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm watching nonstop, and I'm like, okay, this is a cool thing, and let's you know let's see what's going to happen. And Liam Neeson is solving this mystery, and it's intriguing. And as it starts to get explained, it starts to fall apart for me, and I, I ultimately feel the movie was junk, and I didn't like it. Is it similar to that, where you're liking this movie, but as it gets to its message or its explanation or as it's unpacking the significance of things, it falls apart for you? Is it that kind of thing? Well, the proportions aren't the same because I was I broke up with nonstop very early and I sensed okay. that it wasn't going to go anywhere and it went even lamer, kind of like Lost. Like it just it sucked. It started sucking really early. While as with the Lego movie, it never it didn't even suck by the end. But my expectation, like the first hour, says so. Enjoyable and clever and paced rocket fast. Mm-hmm. That at the end when Will Ferrell showed up, and I don't know, it's, this is a case by case scenario. But when you see when they do these close ups, and Will Ferrell seems to have like a lot of cameo appearances, like in Wedding Crashers, there's always like a close up of the cameo actor, like oh it's this guy here comes crazy time, and it's like Will Ferrell doesn't evoke those emotions in me personally. Like when he's coming down the stairs and it's yeah, like, oh boy, Will Ferrell's in it. Because I've already heard his voice now for an hour, so the fact that I'm seeing him too is like, oh, and as if that wasn't enough, I get to look at him too. Like okay. now it's really going to kick it up. When I when it seemed like a distraction from like the battle that was going on that I was really invested in in the Lego world at that moment. Okay. Um, uh, Dingus, how did all that live action stuff work for you? It's a quibble. Um, I hated all of it. 
And actually, what was weird was, you know, I my son went to see it last year um, with a group of friends who were all invited to see a pre-screening. Uh, so they were all warned that they were going to see a, one of these uh, test screenings where the mom who was, all, was taking them all was going to fill out one of these cards that says what works and what doesn't work. And they, and they were warned that there was a lot of stuff that wouldn't be filled in. There was some special effects that wouldn't quite they, – they just sketched in, but Place weren't – yeah, placeholders, but special effects. Um, so during, so sitting, so when I told Gernon that you know we're gonna, the podcast movies, Lego movies, like, will you take? Can we go see it together? I'm like, oh yeah, let's go. And so he was very excited to say, well, this is what I see. That this, I don't remember this part. And he and he said very clearly that there was a couple of moments. It was very much like seeing a movie with Kelly Wan, but the PG version or the G version, where he would be like, "I'm going to let you know when something funny is going to happen." Um, and then he said, "There's one part that I really don't like about this movie." At that all. is cute. Um, oh. And the don't like at all was that whole part where the man upstairs is Will Ferrell and all that stuff. He can't stand and i totally agree with him i i think that stuff is terrible i think it's the movie telling us what it's about and the fantasy world movie is broken at that point and maybe it's because i don't think will ferrell can carry it and neither can that kid uh, or or maybe it's just that they don't look like they're related in any way i don't uh, know they, they, they definitely both, have they both have curly hair what yes they do they both have Jufros. color. Awesome. Right. Um, uh, Dingus, what, what do you explain for me a little bit more? Talk a little bit more about what you mean when you say that at that point the fantasy part of the movie f- falls apart. Is it like Kelly was talking about, where the kid's supposed to be enacting all this stuff, or what? Uh, explain for me what you mean by that. What I mean is that I understand because of the hints the movie has given me all along that this is a world within a world, mm-hmm. and they've given us hints all along. And the most obvious hint is that ghost on a string. I mean, and that's funny. And so I understand all of that. I don't need the let us now tell you how this all works. And in this weird, perverted basement of this man who glues Legos together. Uh, I loved the, the idea that this is in some kid's room. And and that's where it's going on. Sort of like that, that Toy Story thing. It's as, It's as if Toy Story, the movie, had suddenly had to like shock us into a live action of, now we're going to stand here and show you where all of the toys stand, and the dad has to control them all. I, did, I, I mean, it was really frustrating for me, because I got the I got the construct of the movie, and then it was as if they had to say, okay, now we're going to download it for you so that we can all see it. And when I, when I was talking about it with my my son who we were trying to sort of get through why why we both don't like this part of the movie he's like well maybe uh, he's like i i got that part too but maybe less smart people wouldn't get it wouldn't get that this is all taking place in a kid's room uh or in a kid's fantasy world smaller kids that that he's created maybe maybe other kids wouldn't get it get it um so uh, i mean i liked that he that he said that to me, but for me as a moviegoer, just not considering it for any other age group but myself, uh, having to go into the basement with the man upstairs and sit there for the, it, it just felt interminable with Will Ferrell po- uh, plotting around and messing about with super glue. It was just 
so frustrating. And plus, I just don't think Will Ferrell can carry that. He was great as, for, in my estimation, he was great as as the voice character, whatever it is, Lord President whatever. Business, Pre- uh, Lord Business, President Lord Business. business. Uh, he was fine. That was fine. <clears throat> But once I have to sit with him in a room with that little kid, it was like it was like watching the uh, the kid version of uh, Albert Brooks in Defending Your Life, which was just cute for a moment. But to have to spend that much of a scene with him was just too much. So for for me, I think I, I the closest I can come to agreeing with you is Will Ferrell not being able to pull it off. But because he's Will Ferrell and because he's been doing the voice, I kind of feel like they're stuck with him. Like they. Yeah, that's who they had. And, and, you know, he's a celebrity. I mean, a, a lot of people were probably delighted to get to watch him in that part. But my problem and where I sort of agree with you that I feel he can't pull it off is that there, I just have so much baggage with Will Ferrell just cutting up and being funny. I talked a little bit last week about a, a serious and I'm kind of putting quotes around it. Actually, I'll, I'll even take the quotes off. A serious Will Ferrell movie called uh, Everything Must Go, where he's just playing a guy. Uh, Stranger Than Fiction, by the way, is a similar instance. There have been roles where he settles down, but I watch those and I kind of think, oh, that's the guy. He's going to make a joke at any moment. You know, there's some smirk that's about to come out. Um, so when when he plays something that's more serious, like he's trying to do here, it doesn't always work for me. However, I really feel that that part is... Um, for, for me, the clues that were leading up to that part are the relics. You know, is that you see the non-Lego bits and pieces that have somehow dropped into this world. Uh, and so that you therefore know in this movie the real world exists, where there is a penny or an exacto knife or nail polish remover uh, or a band-aid. You know, you know that that real world is out there. Um, so it's almost like a Chekhov's gun is once they're showing me those things, I know that we're going to have to go there. And I'm glad. And I, and I really actually liked how they went there and how they created this kind of layers of reality story, kind of like the Matrix, but for kids. Um, and how the message of going to this world was very much like – you mentioned Toy Story a few times, Dingus, but I think more particularly of the end of Toy Story 2 where there is this world, this idea introduced of toys that aren't played with, but that are collected, that are kept by people who have a different kind of appreciation for them than a child, and who like to have the things literally boxed up still. And I think kind of the message of this movie was that some adults like that with Legos, is that they, and there are adults who play with Legos, it's thing is you called it weird and perverted but there are adults who collect these things um and who put them together and some of them do crazy creative things with them by just building you know a giant millennium falcon or whatever um i think of it as like a a modern version of uh, adults making train sets you know playing with train sets and creating these serious dioramas and stuff um so, so when we go there, and, and there's a story there about the difference between people who just collect and admire and don't want to touch and play with these things versus children playing with them and loving on them, uh, it reminded me a lot of the end of Toy Story 2, where there's that whole dilemma about, will would he be shipped off to Japan to some toy collector, or will he be played with by children who love him? Um, well, so Let me just say real quick that if I said weird and perverted, I don't mean that collecting toys is weird and perverted. Okay. Because, because I've often thought of like, of uh, assembling uh, model airplanes again as an adult and keeping them as something that might be pleasurable to me, or even the train set thing. So that I didn't mean that 
Um, well, let me give I just you, meant that. How about anal? This, like he's, this, he's definitely anal and sort of repressive about it. Well, if you have, yeah, that and that he has an entire basement that his child can't touch. No, but I he mean, has stuff for his child. Like the idea is, these are mine. I play them with with them this way. That over there is yours. At one point, doesn't it cut to a bunch of stuff that the kid like? Those are yours. You go play with those. Right. Right. Okay. Um, but. But I got, I mean, uh, yeah, so I, I didn't, uh, at any rate, I guess the point being is I kind of liked that, and I liked, I, I liked the clues we were given that we were going to go to live action, and I liked the message that was waiting there that seemed to kind of alienate Kelly. This idea that, because the whole movie for me, if you were to address what's the point of this, I think of this movie as kind of a, an apology, and I mean that in the formal sense of the word, a justification for, an apology for aesthetic inconsistency. Is you know what? Take your Legos, put the dragons in the skyscrapers, have Han Solo riding a pink pony, you know, do whatever you want with your Legos, and we, as the official Lego Corporation, we give that our blessing. Uh, And I love that they kind of made this subversive movie about how traditionally Legos are literally separate worlds, and like the toy. The toys in Toy Story 2, they are boxed in. You know, President Business, you know, adults who collect Legos, put them in boxes and they separate the worlds by these invisible walls. Um, And we, the Lego Corporation, feel that you should just mash it all together and go crazy. (laughs) I kind of liked that. Uh, This idea that that IPs, you know, intellectual properties, there's Star Wars Legos, there's some, uh, you know, more public domain, Old West Legos, there's Middle Earth Legos. You know, I love that we got both Gandalf and Dumbledore in there, nods to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. You know, all these IPs are walls that the Lego Corporation has totally been profiting from. But here they make a movie telling us, you know what, screw all that, just mash it all together. Have fun, knock yourself out, kids. Um, and I but love they, that. they kind of subvert yeah. that, though. I mean, that's that's what's so weird for me is because for me it started to look as as a I don't know um, sort of a diatribe about old Legos versus new Legos, and and the whole instruction booklet thing is mm-hmm. is this whole new development that they've made so much money off of. Mm-hmm. And it's just a whole different development. I mean, my kid now gets a Lego set that looks like a thing on a box, and then he gets a booklet that you see in this movie that the main character talks about, and he goes step-by-step step through devising those things, right. rather than like my brother, who's 20 years younger than I am, would just collect pieces and construct things out of his own imagination. So you, Well, neither of those are wrong. No, no, no. I'm not saying either of them are wrong, but it's it's a versus. And I, what were you going to say, Tom? Oh, no, that, and that, I agree with you. I mean, that's one of the reasons I love this the message of this movie. And I don't think you could really make it as strongly if you don't come into the real world. The message of this movie mm-hmm. being, screw the IPs, mash everything together and play with it how you want. You know, throw away the instructions. They're making that the whole movie until the live action. They're doing a great. I like that aspect too. And I was bummed. I think the real world. I think my biggest disappointment was when you introduced the real world. It made me miss all those characters being real. Like Batman's not a real dude anymore. He's just a product of the of one of their imaginations. And I kind of liked that guy. And I liked the spaceship guy. I liked how different they all were in their own, mm-hmm. their own things. So. But wait, what bummed you out about that? About. Uh, that all those characters weren't real. Like it was now the real world undercut that, and suddenly they're all just like. 
they're all products of imagination instead of actually vying for like all those things aren't really mashed together in this cool, clever story. It's really just um, I don't know. It became they, product placement. Well, there's a lot of product placement here, and this, by the way, I would I would use as an example of like least offensive product placement. Like I think this is a great scenario <laughs> for product placement. I had yeah. forgotten, and I love this because I'd seen the trailer for this, and the trailer shows Batman in it, and I'd forgotten about that. that by the time Batman really shows up, and and I also loved how they totally made Batman a dick. Uh, I'm going to ch- channel Julianne Moore from Nonstop. <laughs> Batman was such a deck. He was really deck in this movie. <laughs> and I, I loved love that. that. And yeah. Green Lantern was swishy, I think. And that that's kind of again a yeah. little subversive. Is playing with stuff like that. Like I can imagine a child not liking batman or liking superman more or i mean it, it didn't seem like the ip dumbledore for instance was just a throwaway joke right. um this movie didn't take the ip stuff that seriously and i really admired that i mean that, that especially means, the star wars stuff it totally oh my god yeah totally yeah. mess with that uh, that harry the harry one's a dude they're all dudes you know right and they're, they're, yeah well, see what a six-year-old kid don't make that joke <laughs> i don't know no, but but there's enough in there for us. I you know the thing is right. I would, I just wanted Emmett to be able to make that point, not Will Ferrell to have to come in and, and, and act and act super. Uh, I don't know, super serious with his son. Like, okay, then we will build things together. And Emmett was making the point just fine for me. I didn't need these it humans like to come in. It was clear that it was clear to me that there was there was a human structure going on outside of that i mean that was clear to me and that's what i i liked that emmett was making that point that he was learning about using instructions and not learn using instructions and creativity and, and and how you use creativity and i wanted emmett to make that point not not will ferrell this ex machina ending Emmett does kind of make that point. I mean, it's Emmett, though, who escapes out to the real world and who uses the – I mean, there's, there's a supernatural element here, by the yeah, way. Yeah, exactly. And who uses – so exactly. Emmett, Emmett – I mean, Dingus, what you're asking for, Emmett does save the world. I mean, Emmett but, makes himself move in front of a child. I mean, don't you think that that's Emmett making the point? Dad. I mean, Emmett yeah, is, no, no, is, is a supernatural entity here. Yeah, but that's outside of – that's outside of the – I mean, that's outside of it. Right. I mean – I mean, him flicking about on that table is something. Why does that happen? I mean, I mean, I wanted this to happen in the world because the point is it's in the world, and this is outside of all of that. I didn't like that. Every time he he squicked about on that table, I was like. "Uh." The reason it happens is because this is a story like The Matrix. It's a story about different layers of reality. Seriously. Yeah, I, I agree with you. You're absolutely right that that, that is the story. It's just that I was – But the way Matrix Evolution sucks when it comes out of that Matrix, and so does this. But it, just like there are different levels of reality and all the different APs – APs, all the different IPs, the intellectual properties within Legos, you know, there's this different level of reality. Like there's our reality well, and there's, there's toy realities. And I, yeah. I think it's about breaking the lines between different realities uh, and, and just applying unfettered creativity. And like I said, I don't feel the point could have been made that well if we didn't somehow break into the real world. Um I, I, think I thought, that, well, it's just I thought the whole movie was just making that point as a story until the live action ending, like made like made it perfectly clear that you can't miss it. Like just by merging those pieces, like you're making a good point. But I thought it was doing that without the live action because it was doing it so well up to that point. Well, I think without that real world stuff, what you get is and and I'm going out on a limb here because I don't know as much about it as 
I'm sure some of the listeners do. Uh, there's a series of, of video games that are uh, what's called a Japanese role-playing game, a JRPG, uh, called Kingdom Hearts. And Kingdom Hearts, the conceit is that a, a company that makes these JRPGs called Square Enix blends their properties with Disney properties. And you go around and you visit different worlds, and it's some of I, – I haven't played them, and I don't know that much about them. But I think the same thing is going on there. There's this idea of let's tear down the walls between different IPs and let them play with each other and be interactive and riff on the differences among them. And I know there's like a Tron world, and there's all these JRPG characters, and there's all these like Mickey Mouse things, and uh, just all this, this stuff like blended together and interacting with each other. Um, and I, you could certainly do that with all the Lego things, but without then breaking also the the wall into the real world, I think you just get you get a very different kind of playfulness and a very different kind of hey, let's just mash it all together. Um, right. I, I think mm. that by introducing the real world and saying and yep, you know, do do that in the real world, you know, these are just toys, but by calling attention to the fact that these are toys in the real world, it just hits a new layer for me that that I feel is part of what made the movie work. Um, I think it's a matter of taste, since I picked sure. up on those same cues. Sure, sure. Um, and like, I mean, we all agree that the, the clues were there too early on. Uh, uh, how do you feel about uh, introducing children, Kelly, Wan, to the concept of dystopia? Well, I collect <laughs> anal toys from my basement. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Wait a hey, minute. Hey, we're, yeah, yeah. Easy there. Oh, Lord. I thought we were done. <laughs> I uh, still want to talk about how the movie looks and how it sounds and that type of stuff. I mean, I think this movie looks beautiful. Good yeah, thing. and it's totally worth seeing, I should point out, mm-hmm. in addition to what I just said, which should also be pointed out. Uh, the, uh, the action scenes are great, like, as far as how it looks great, like, all the different, I, I love, the the different the look of the different worlds that it goes to uh, the fact that it's, it gets so crazily pink and and silly in that cuckoo clouds world the old west world the dystopia stuff you know each world gets its own crazy action sequence which I really yeah. like and like Jump Street it's got really weird rhythms like that thing with the parents was like him telling the dad to stop moving like for three straight minutes almost and I like that I like those those divergences if you will. What's the thing with the parents and him telling his dad to stop moving for three minutes? Or he's trying to get them to stay still. Uh, it's when he's threatening the schizophrenic cop, and he's telling the parents to – he's telling the dad to stop moving. Oh, when, when the first time super glue is used. Okay, because yeah. with good cop, bad cop. Okay, I see what you're saying. Oh, I thought you were talking about Twenty One Jump Street. <laughs> yeah, well, he was just – uh, right. uh, he was crossing. It does that too. It's just where you're, I don't know, they cut away from rhythms you're well used to, unlike the watch. And again, we've said this before, uh, how awesome is it? I, I, I just wish people would give Liam Neeson more of an opportunity to be funny. <laughs> he was really Holy funny. Cat. He's so good in this. <laughs> he was stealing the movie almost. And he somehow, he's not really crucial to what's going on later. So I feel like he wasn't in it almost enough. He was really, really funny. See, uh, he could have just been like that and nonstop, and it would have been the best movie ever. <laughs> No, nonstop. He was such a deck. He was being a deck. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm really liking uh, this Charlie Pratt fellow, Dingus. You, you're uh, you're already a fan of his because you watch him on TV. I know we're going to get to see him as the the heroic lead in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie that uh, that is being made. Um, we saw him in Her, 
And it, when the, by the time, the, as I was watching the movie, I was like, who did they get for the voice of the main guy? Oh, well, it's no one I know of. And then the, the credits came out, and I was like, oh, that was Charlie Pratt. It's Chris. So, stop stop oh, hey, Chris. him with Charlie Day. Who's no, no, there. thank you. Exactly. No, and I, that's important. Right. Because I, I hate Charlie Day. I cannot stand that he guy. Was. drives me crazy. So that at the end of the movie, when I found out he was in it, I was like, oh, which guy was he? Of course, he's the annoying retro astronaut, right? <laughs> Is that right? Did I, did oh, I, he's a spaceship yeah. guy? Yeah. He, yeah, he doesn't get very many lines. I liked him, but he only said spaceship. Thank God. Oh, yeah, Chris Pratt. I can't believe I'm calling him Charlie Pratt. No, I love oh, I him in this, and I, I just thought he was just – he's great in it. And I, I couldn't – when Tom told me that he was going to be in this, uh, this uh, I don't know, Avengers of the Galaxy movie or whatever the hell that is, <laughs> I couldn't understand it because uh, I'm, I, I'm an unabashed – I'm – Unapologetically a fan of uh, of Parks and Recreation, uh, I'm much oh, much surprised that I that I love that show because I I hate sitcoms and that guy's great in it. And then at a certain season, they all had to go to London for some reason. It was just as ridiculous. Why are we going to London? It was because Chris Pratt had to film something there for the Avengers universe. And and when Tom told me that, I'm like, what? What is he going to? He's a hero there. What? He's kind of a a chubby, funny guy, but. <laughs> like affable and good um but i totally believe he could do anything now uh because i think that his voice work in this is perfect i think yeah. he's perfect in this yeah. kelly Wan, what do you think of our elizabeth banks in this mm. which one was she the goth chick <laughs> <laughs> uh, her name was uh, lucy or wild style yeah oh she's great i always like her wild uh, style, elizabeth banks so yeah and um well, Yes. No Harrison Ford. Terribly disappointing. I just want to bring that up again. I have it here in my notes. <laughs> Billy Dee Williams and Anthony Daniels showed up. Harrison Ford couldn't be bothered. Wait, that was Billy Dee Williams for real? And Anthony Daniels for real. What do you think of that? Um, that's and surprising. probably even Peter Mayhew showed up because he didn't do the voice for Chewbacca, but I bet he was on set the day that they shot that scene. Right. He's the hairy guy. He's a dude. <laughs> Uh, one of the things I really loved, the early moments in the movie where I really realized I was in good hands, uh, during the freeway chase, when they <laughs> drive through the house, and it was like a, a Sam Raimi or Coen Brothers sequence where the motorcycle is going through the house. Or Hal Needham. I was like, this is such a, like an adult thing. Kids probably won't understand why this is cool. I mean, kids will think, yeah, I'm going through a house. But that was such a like weird, subversive, crazy Coen Brothers, like the chase scene in Raising Arizona or something. I loved that bit. Kids wouldn't get that, you mean? Because it's only been used by Coens and Raimis. I don't think that they would get that. It was was like a nod to crazy chase scenes in other movies. That's what it was, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Uh, Do you know who played Superman? Channing Tatum. Do you know who played played Green Lantern? (laughs) Ryan Reynolds. Dingus. Scarlett Johansson. Set. Jonah Hill. Oh, well, I thought it was Jonah. <laughs> what? Well, that's kind of cute. Yeah, it's and, adorable. And, what do you mean kind of cute? And who played Wonder Woman? Kobe Smulders. <laughs> All two lines. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really liked the uh, the pig wagon bit. That was adorable. Like when he's a uh, – did he hate pigs or was he scared of pigs? I forgot. What was his deal with pigs? I don't remember. All I can think of is the cats. Oh, and the adorable cats, right? All the cat names. Uh, Dingus, how many of those cat names can you give us? I can only give you Jeff. (laughs) Jeff was great, yes. Uh, Let's see. 
so who can tell me then? None of us has seen Wreck It Ralph, right? No, I have not. It can't be this good. All right. No. If Wreck It if Wreck It Ralph is as good as Lego Movie, let us know because we'll it looked, see it if you think it is. Yes, Kelly. Look very pathos ridden in the trailers. <laughs> Wreck It Ralph looked. Yeah, like pathos? he's bummed out. Like, yeah, it's not the. It, I'm out of date. I can't read. You know what else looked like? I'll bet. I'll bet this looked pathos ridden in the trailers. How how pathos ridden do you think Wally must have looked in the trailers, Kelly Wand? Mm. Uh, similar live action misuse. Uh, and I will defend Wally as well. We'll do that on another podcast. However, Um, can I just ask quickly? uh, Because I was really keenly aware when they were talking about master builders and whenever they would build something, Mm -hmm. um, of having played. Recently, some of these Lego games uh, with you, Tom, and with my son, and when there, whenever there's that moment where you, oh, there's something we have to build here, and there's that click, 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 click. Um, do you, did you feel like when you were watching this, any sort of affinity for the games or anything? I mean, did did that make you think of that? Any of that? Uh, I think I've said – I don't know if I've said this before on this podcast, but I've said it on our games podcast. I think the Lego games for the most part are horrible for the simple reason that they are basically slaves to IP. And they're, they're used basically as, as a way to make money by cashing in on Harry Potter or Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark. And to be fair, a lot of them have some cool ideas and there's cool artwork and it's kind of – you know I can see – responding to wanting to collect all the characters and in some of them you can even like creatively mix and match characters but the problem i have with the lego games is the main your main vocabulary and we use that word when we talk about gameplay design is how does a character interact with the game world you call that interaction like your vocabulary your main vocabulary in a lego game is breaking stuff and I think that that's a terrible – like the yeah. Legos the, – the, the look of the Legos is well executed in those games. But the fact that it all comes down to just running around breaking stuff, I feel, does not at all touch on what makes Legos good. And that's the ability to create stuff. And, and instead, they're, they're IP cash-ins, and they just teach kids just run around and break everything and collect money to spend on crap. Legos. Now, now – there is an exception, and I will say one of the exceptions, and this was done by a, an English studio. The, the folks that make the Legos games are called, I think, Traveler's Tales. And they were licensing, when they would make a game, uh, they would make it for one of the main platforms, like the Xbox, the PC, or whatever. And then they would hire, they would contract that to another company, ports to other platforms. So there's a company in the UK that was doing the Nintendo DS ports of some Lego games. And they finally said to these guys in the UK, I forgot what they were called, but they acquired them. They became part of Traveler's Tales, which is part of Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment. They, they, they brought them into the fold, and they finally said to these guys, you know what? You guys make your own Lego game. You don't get an IP. You know, We're not going to give you Batman or Indiana Jones or Marvel. By the way, the Marvel Legos game, awful, oh, terrible. Um, so they said to these guys, make your own Lego game. You don't get an IP, though. This is just going to be an open-world Lego game. Call it a Lego Undercover City. It's not going to tie into anything that kids will know. Just do whatever you want with it and see what you can do. That thing, Lego City Undercover, that right there is an amazing expression of Legos for a couple of reasons. You still run around and you break stuff, but one of the really cool things they do there is they create all these different worlds and these different kind of biomes and settings in an open-world environment that aren't based on, hey, Star Wars, Harry Potter. You know, they're different 
locations that they have to create themselves. Um, so that's one of the reasons it's great. And the other reason that it's great is it does something that none of the other Legos do, and it encourages you to change the city by building – and you don't actually build them yourself, but you save up your money and you watch them being built. You build these permanent new landmarks in the city. So when you first start playing, there's all these gaps, but as you make money, you go to this gap and it builds like a merry-go-round or a cool new tower or a ramp you can jump a car over. And it creates this sense of, here I am in a city, let me build more stuff into it and permanently change and make better the city rather than just breaking everything that's breakable and getting money. Um, so sorry to go on that tirade, but, but basically well, – When you break is, stuff, you can uh, recreate it after that. Nope. So maybe nope. that's the message. Nope, you cannot. Oh. You break well, the stuff and it, it automatically rebuilds itself later. Like when, when the world – when you like leave the level and it reloads, it's there again. Um, well, they break no. a lot of shit in the movie. Well that, well, that was what was so frustrating for me watching my son start to play these Lego games. Right. Is that it's about breaking stuff. Um, because one of the things I asked Tom about was um, my son was getting interested in playing Minecraft – and I said, what is that What is that game? And he said, it's kind of a Lego game. Um, and it turns out Minecraft, now that he's playing it, is about building stuff. Yeah. But those other games are about breaking things. I mastered it right before this podcast. One, two, three, not only you and me. Got 180 degrees and I'm caught in between. Counting one, two, three. I'll put it the same. My text... My internet's made out of Legos. Or wishes <laughs> <of> Legos. <laughs> My guys. Cable. Uh, Kelly One, let's do a 3x3. Three three. Oh, why are you telling only me? Uh, I can't wait to hear what you've come up with. Kelly One, your favorite declarations of love. Now, I, uh, is, is it Kelly? Dingus, is it Kelly One's 3x3 three three next week? Or God, no. No, it's me. All right, so, so Kelly One, you don't get to go first. So hold that thought, Kelly All right, I'll hold it. Thank you. And, and Dingus, maybe you can give us, and I've taken off of the table, by the way, The Empire Strikes Back, so I don't want to hear any of your, I love you. I know. I like a movie. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is that his declaration or hers? Yeah. Uh, that's both of theirs, I think. Well, I don't know. Is it? Does it count as... He's declaring knowledge. She's declaring knowledge. <laughs> That's a good point. Uh, so, yeah, you cannot use Princess Leia's declaration from Empire Strikes Back. Ah, you say it, Leia. How else do you say it? Leah in the first one. Leah? Leah. When she has a British accent, she's Leah. And then when she's American later, it's Leah. She's never Leah. She sounds British. Yeah, dig. Luke Luke calls her Leah. No, C-3PO does. This is the worst conversation ever had (laughs) between grown men. Dingus, get us out of here. What? Give us a line from your – maybe actually, do you guys have the actual declarations of love as your lines? Um, uh, I I do, but but the line I'm going to give you is not that actual declaration. Of okay, well, thanks for breaking that. Non-actual. We won't be doing it that way. So, but I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the line. It's gonna sound don't. It's gonna sound like just noises, and I'm gonna have to do a oh sound effect. Uh, how love ends. No, yeah. it's got it. It's probably R2D2. Great. So I'm gonna have. Well, it's gonna sound like R2D2. I'm gonna tell you, and then I'm gonna have to do a sound effect. All right, here we go. Ready? Uh-oh. Boop, boop, boop. Come here. Come here, man. Okay, well, thanks for stealing mine. How do you know what I'm talking about? 
Is it well, my line, here's the here's the actual declaration. Here's the line. I just want to go to the rooftop and scream, I love my best friend, Evan. Well, I was going to say, I love you. It's like, why don't we say that every day? Why why can't we say it more often? Or you could say, I love you, man, and we could trick Kelly Wand into thinking that it is, I love you, man. That's a good point. All right, Dingus, what movie with two annoying cops is this? <laughs> what number is it for you? Uh, number two. All right, so it was it's my number three and your number two. You get to go first. Uh, so this is Superbad, uh, which Superbad is so awesome, except for the stupid parts that Seth Rogen put in there for him to be a wacky cop. Um, but the stuff with even uh, uh, Christopher Mintz Platt is, is awesome, but mainly the stuff with Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah as buddies is just so funny and crude and it becomes so touching at this point where at the end, I mean, I think they're a little drunk at that point and they're just crashing sleeping bags on the floor after the adventures of the movie. And they just have this frank discussion about how they love each other. And it, it's not like a, ah, they're saying they love each other. It's really touching and sincere. Um, and both of those actors are so good, by the way, with both comedy and sincerity that when they get to this really touching, sincere moment where they, they say to each other, I love you. Um, it's, it's, it's a really affecting moment. And I love that bit of super bad. Uh, and I, so it just makes me all the more wish that super bad didn't have that stupid stuff with the cops in it. Um, or that redemption part in the basement. <laughs> just Kelly wand on about it. He's talking about what we're talking about. <laughs> the redemption part. Are, are you talking about the part where they're talking, telling each other they love each other? Or are you talking about when they're, I think oh you know what I think he's referencing the Lego movie. Yeah. Oh right. Tom wins. All right. Guess what Kelly's talking about, Cam. Uh, for me, this this I mean one of the reasons I love Superbad is because of this particular moment when they're lying there in their sleeping bags and they're then they and they realize we can say these words we can say I love you to each other and and when. Uh, it's it's interesting to see the way the two of them say it because when Evan says I love you, it sort of spills out of him, and then Seth kind of goes, "I love you." It's it's like a discovery for him, and they're both discovering that we're a couple of dudes and we can say that to each other. Right. And uh, what's so touching for me is that I remember that moment for me in high school. For me, it was it was because I was in. Uh, a youth group and and very much involved in this Baptist church and um, the youth group kind of leader said you know you guys should be able to tell each other you love each other and there was a there were a couple of guys who were my friends in high school that we suddenly realized we feel that way about each other we were around each other all the time we're in bands together we play sports together and yeah I I love you, and I don't have to append the word "man" to it. And I mean, unfortunately, like uh, one of one of them has since has since died. Unfortunately, he died early, uh, and the other ones I've lost contact with. One of them I've regained contact with. Um, and they're they're people they're the first guys who are my age that I ever said, you know, I love you. And it was just such a weird moment when you said that to another boy as a high school kid. It was just absurd. It was just, you can say that. It just felt weird. And yet it was the right thing to say because I, I did love those guys. They were really important to my life. And watching uh, watching Evan and Seth there on the floor in these 
sleeping bags after this night they've been through, um, declare to each other, I love you, and then discover, oh, yeah, we can say that to each other. And then, you know, notwithstanding how they wake up the next morning and act like it's like the morning after and that there's that sort of goofiness. But I love that. I love that declaration of love. I love him saying, I, I, I love I love you. And I'm not embarrassed. I'm not embarrassed either. Why don't we say this more often? Let's go up to the roof. I love that. Uh, you just made me realize, and I'd forgotten about this. Not only do Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen put the stupid cops in the movie, they put their own freaking names in there. Oh, oh Jesus. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, if you would actually call the actors by their names, Dingus, rather than their character names and reminding us, just call them Jonah Hill and Michael Sarah, Dingus. Well, that's why when you mentioned um, uh, whatever quote you mentioned earlier and I said Seth said it, it was Jonah, right. Jonah Hill. Because right. I was thinking of Evan. Ah, darn it. Rats. Right. Kelly Wan, do you like Superbad? I haven't seen it. I've only seen Kick-Ass. What? By Jonah Hill. Uh, I, don't see it. I don't see movies where you would love people Superbad. don't get laid. Kelly, can I give you a line from Superbad that might absolutely make you not want to see it? <laughs> Why can't you just be happy for me? All right, Kelly, Wan, give me your number three favorite declaration of love. All right, I don't know if I did this topic right because I don't really understand what love is. Mm. Who right. who does Kelly, Wan? Who does? Lust, I kind of get sometimes. Uh, all right, <clears throat> this is uh, because. I know my acting is usually enough to sell it, but I'm going to set it up because uh, it's from Star Wars 4 when Han Solo tells Princess Leia, uh, I have sex with only one person, me, because he loves himself. And that's why they fall in love later because she's attracted to narcissists. Even though he could arrest her for drug use, she's still interested. All right, very good. Then were you going to act some of this out? Is that why you were apologizing for your acting? That was him <laughs> talking. So you're choosing the one Tom took off the table? No. It's when Han Solo loves himself. I'm looking for the other one. Oh, A New Hope. All right. I apologize. Uh, my number three pick. So I this is not a sincere declaration of love. And ah. it's part of why I, I like it, because it's so smarmy and unconvincing. And it is un- made under such duress. Um, like my, my favorite, the, the number one is an actual sincere one. And certainly the super bad one is sincere. But I this, this declaration of love it's just so icky and oily and gross, and it is, it is stuck with me for so long. <laughs> I went back and watched this movie, and unfortunately, this is one of those things where you discover that a movie that you really liked a lot, you thought was awesome when you were young, you maybe didn't quite have a wide enough frame of reference or enough of an appreciation for subtlety to realize, ah, this movie's a little over the top. Like the gray? Um, so what I watched, uh, after having not seen it, probably since the 90s, uh, is a movie from, it's got to be 84, 85. Um, it's a movie that I think is mainly known for Christopher Walken's performance called At Close Range, uh, which is... That doesn't hold up. No, and it's totally... Right, Chris, it's really good. Christopher Walken is off the chain. I mean, he's like <laughs> a guy in an 80s metal hair band, first of all, with the way he looks, his mustache, his hair. Like, that's one thing. But he is completely being rock star crazy... Just, just insane Christopher Walkenisms. This movie is full of them, and compared to Sean Penn being so flat and sullen and 
one note. It's like Christopher Walken. It's like he's in orbit around this movie or something. He's not even like it's, it's stratospheric. <laughs> the crazy stuff he's doing. Um, and I'd forgotten about some of that. There are some great things in this movie, though. There's some great little touches, but for the most part, I don't think it works. Um, and Christopher Walken. Christopher Walken is completely out of control. So Mary Stuart Masterson is in it. And there, there's a moment where the movie achieves almost like crazy critical mass. So there's a scene where uh, Mary Stuart Masterson and Sean Penn, their their boyfriend and girlfriend, and he's taken up with these these criminal elements, and he's in jail. So the criminal elements are worried about Mary Stuart Masterson informing on them, so they dupe her into thinking we're going to take you to see Sean Penn in jail, to see her boyfriend in jail. So and and they end up like it's terrible, like they end up raping her, and it's it's awful. And the movie is actually based on a real story about these this crime family in rural Pennsylvania. And there were murders and rapes and betrayals and all this stuff happened. Uh, and the movie is about that. And it's a crime thriller back in the middle of the 80s. I remember being captivated by it. Um, so at one point, Christopher Walken is taking Mary Stuart Masterson. He said, we're going to take you to see Sean Penn. But he needs to recruit one of Sean Penn's friends to sort of earn her trust. So the friend who he recruits is played by Crispin Glover. So you have in this one just – just sort of critical mass of crazy scene, Crispin Glover in one side of a pickup truck, uh, Christopher Walken on the other, and poor little Mary Stuart Masterson sitting between them. And as they're driving her to see Sean Penn in jail, they're trying to trick her into drinking uh, to steal her nerve because in, in, in jail, it's going to be crazy because there's going to be dudes looking at her and lusting after her. And so Christopher Walken and <laughs> Crispin Glover are just doing it. It's like some burlesque scene where they're talking about how all the guys in the prison are going to be looking her up and down and really wanting a piece of her. And, and it's, just, it's just those two so actors. keep drinking. It's exactly that, Kelly Wand. Um, uh, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland is in this movie. I don't think he has a single line. He literally sits in the background during a couple of scenes. He might have like one line or something. Um, here's a thing that I didn't remember. David Strathern is in this. What? He's, uh, yeah, he's one of the gang members who works with Christopher Walken. Uh, and there's a scene, and I remember being really struck by this scene as a kid, but it's so obvious now. Uh, he's introduced as having epilepsy. And there's a scene later in the movie where you just – it's a tight shot of him sleeping at night with some sort of stylized light on him. And he wakes up. He's having an epileptic seizure in his sleep, and it wakes him up long enough to put like a rag in his teeth so he doesn't swallow his tongue. And then he's sitting there racked by – like he's covered in sweat, and he's racked by this epileptic seizure in the middle of the night. And then it cuts to Sean Penn sleeping peacefully and just rolling over calmly. And it's the idea that, you know, the criminals are racked by guilt and the epileptic seizure represents that. And sweet, innocent Sean Penn sleeps well at night. But it's a, it, you know, it, it's David, it's definitely, it's David Strathler and he's got a couple lines. You can see him, you can see it's clearly him. Um, and he's got this scene where he has epilepsy. Uh, so at any rate, the end of the movie, all this stuff happens, uh, and it's all it becomes like a revenge moment where Sean Penn uh, has been betrayed. Christopher Walken, who's his father, uh, has murdered his half brother. By the way, another striking thing in this movie, uh, poor Chris Penn. I mean, he looks so just like young and fresh faced and innocent. And uh, it's just so sad, like seeing just this young, adorable, like puppy dog quality oh. to Chris Penn in, in at close range. Uh, I really. Yeah. I just, when it comes it, to a bad fate. 
Yeah, I mean, the the character and Chris Penn. But yeah, the, the character comes to a terrible fate. Uh, and this the scene, too, which I remember really being affecting is kind of clumsy. Where And again, it's Christopher Walken. He's got this ridiculous monologue about a, a female coyote luring domestic dogs to their death at the hands of the male coyotes. <laughs> it makes no sense. But it's a biopic, so maybe he was really like that. Coyote hands? Do what? Coyote hands. Coyote hands? Yeah, you said the hands of the male coyotes. Oh, so the female coyote, she gets in heat and she goes into the neighborhood and she lures domestic dogs out into the woods where the other coyotes are, oh, where the, the male coyotes set bitch. on the the domestic dogs and kill it. Like, not at their hands, at their jaws. It's like a black widow. Yeah, well, their right. paws. Or their paws, just... right. Right. Um, I, uh, I love the line that you just... It's, it's one of my new favorite Tom Chick quotes. It... It's like he's in orbit around this movie. What a great line. <laughs> well, so the scene that I remembered in this declaration of love that is so oily. So at the end of the movie, after his girlfriend has been raped and killed, after there's been an attempted murder against him and he's shot full of bullets and, and, and literally like bleeding out, uh, he goes to his father's house. Um, Christopher hosing himself. Yeah, yeah, he hoses himself down. You see all the bullet wounds still bleeding. He sort of ties his wounds up. He goes to his father's house where he knows a gun is hidden in the bathroom. He gets the gun and then he corners his father and he holds the gun on him. And he thinks, you know, I, and, he, and there's even this, it's such an actorly moment too between young Sean Penn and crazy Christopher Walken. And he's got the gun on him and he's saying, you know, I know for sure one thing and that's that I'm going to kill you. And Christopher Walken has to basically plead for his life. And he has this line where he says, you know, come on, I gave you a car, I gave you money, I even have feelings for you. And he's just going down this line, he says, "I, you know what, I love you. Is that, is that what you want to hear? Okay, I love you. And he's seeing all this because <laughs> Sean Penn has the gun on him, but it's almost like he's so unconvincing. So what I've done, we don't normally do this, I have a sound clip. of. Oh, yay! Clip. So here's Christopher Walken's declaration of love to his son after attempting to murder his son. It means I got feeling for you. What fucking feeling? I care. What do you... I love you. What? Is that what you want to hear? I love you. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. That's good. Motherfucker. <laughs> And then it's Sean Penn just shooting the gun around him. And, uh, but anyway, so that's what works. This ploy works because he doesn't shoot him. Uh, no, what he doesn't – and this is, again, I, I don't think that close range holds, holds up. Uh, what he finally does is he says, looking at his father and holding the gun right into his face, he says, you know what? No, I'm not you. I'm going to make sure you go to prison and die slowly. Eh. <laughs> that always irritates me when they say that. Uh, one of the things that it does that normally doesn't work in a movie, normally in a movie, when someone has a gun on you and you say to that person, you don't have yeah. the balls to shoot me. That's the sure that's surely yeah. you're about to get shot. Uh, Christopher Walken does say that to Sean Penn, that you can't you're not going to shoot me. And he's right. And he's right. Yeah, he's actually right. So this, that, so that makes the movie better, doesn't it? That's <laughs> the problem in real life, because that's what cops kind of constantly have to tell the people, you know, in spite of what you've seen on movies if somebody has a gun you don't tell them you don't have the balls to shoot me because they will shoot yeah (laughs) right it makes me want to oh you know they they will they might accept your bluff (laughs) yeah (laughs) yes see that's 
before we recorded, we were making fun of Kelly Wan for screwing up the idiom "call your bluff." You just <laughs> needed a perfect example of it. <laughs> Acceptance. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Dingus, give us your number two favorite declaration of love. All right. Uh, this is not as cool. I think that's a really cool choice. Uh, my, mine is something that will get me roundly made fun of. Uh, okay. Can I guess? Yeah, go ahead. Is it from a Woody Allen movie? Uh, sadly, no. Okay, well, go ahead then. I don't know what it is. Nice try. It's not a, a Woody Allen movie with different spellings of the word. Um, uh, this is, that, is, is that what Lerv is from? Yeah. I was trying to think, what is the Lerv thing? It's Woody. I was thinking, is that Arrested Development? Is it a TV show? It's Woody Allen. I should have known. What, what Woody Allen is it, Dingus? It's um, it's Manhattan. No, it's uh, no, it's Annie Hall. Sorry, where he loves someone so much he lures them. Like that's the joke, right? Yeah, I lure you. I, I mean, there's because he says, "Jeez, um, what does he say? Love is is too. It's not a strong enough word for what I feel. I lure you. I loafe you. I loaf you. Whatever he says. Right. I was trying but, to think of what that was, and I was sure it was some sitcom. <laughs> Yeah, it's Woody Allen. I think it's the Brooklyn Bridge moment too. But I, I mean, I, for a minute, I thought it was him talking to um, uh, what's her name in Manhattan. What's the girl's name in Manhattan? Mary Hemingway. Thank you, Hemingway in Manhattan. But I, but it's Annie Hall. It's it's him. It's him talking to her and saying. I re- uh, right. Yeah. Uh, but I, I was I I pulled that off the shelf, but I didn't I didn't watch it because I I found three that I liked more. Okay, well, what's the number two of the three that you found you liked more? <laughs> number two is, is even worse. Uh-oh. It's, Uh-oh. It's, it's from uh, Moulin Rouge, actually. Oh, my God. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a song, right? It's someone singing. Yeah. Oh, uh, and it's not it's, even a movie I particularly like. I love Moulin Rouge. There uh, I said it. I, oh, okay, good for you. It's my declaration of Kelly love. Kelly just declared love. Do you know what song I'm going to choose from it, Kelly? Uh, the one with the dancing? Uh, no. It's the one without the dancing, actually. It's, uh, it's... The, uh... Wait, wait, is it the absinthe one? No. (laughs) See what happens, Dingus, when you ask Kelly Wand? You're right. You're right. I know (laughs) you're right. not a bad number two. It's not the Kylie Minogue song, Kelly Wand. It's, it's the Elton John song. It's your song when Ewan McGregor is declaring his love to, um... Nicole Kidman. Uh, it's uh, it's this moment where the poet. It, it's this it, the wor- the worst thing about it is that the beginning of the scene is this horrible threes company. What are we doing here? He thinks he's there to write a poem. She thinks he's oh, there to have sex with her. Cute. Um, it's a, it is definitely me cute. Um, but he's fallen in love with her, and him singing this your song to her is his. He's realized he's in love with her, and he's expressing it because he has to speak poetry to her. And he and he's trying to speak it, and he's trying to speak it, and he's trying to speak it. And she thinks, well, we're going to make love now, or, or we're going to have sex now because she's you know, a prostitute. Uh, but she's been promised to another man. Um, and he just suddenly breaks into song. And, and the way Ewan McGregor breaks into the song and the way the song is structured is just so incredibly emotionally powerful it's you know moulin rouge doesn't work for me on a lot of levels but at this moment this your song moment where he just just blurts this beautiful song out i mean i hate to use the word blurt but but when he starts singing your song to her and the way instead of 
instead of blurt, use the word ejaculate. When he when he Sir. ejaculates that song, I mean, there's, right. I mean, the refractory period is a wonderful moment. But, <laughs> but that particular moment uh, when he sings your song to her as a declaration of love, and it, up until this moment, it's been this goofy fantasia of like three's company goofiness and then when he starts to sing to her and you see her start to melt <laughs> and you understand oh this is his declaration of love it's ne- there's never an i love you moment and as far as the actual words i love you but him singing that part of your song is oh my gosh I cannot tell you and the fact that you McGregor sings it so well I love I love this version of the song better than any other version of the song with all due respect to Elton John Ewan McGregor who is not necessarily a singer he's an actor who can sing but he freaking nails this song in this movie and they can do whatever they want to it I don't care but he's amazing in this scene and in this declaration um, of, I think his name is Christian, uh, and I, I can't even remember her name. It's like Satine or Satine or something. Um, ah, damn. Yeah, the Blue Diamond, bro. <laughs> the Blue Diamond, bro. That's her nickname on her swing. The Blue really? Diamond, bro? Yeah. <laughs> it's a weird nickname. It's 1890s. So that, that weird little moment in that that heart-shaped little room they're in. And then they actually, and and one of the things that made me laugh uh, when I found this after Superbad is that um, they do this little weird transportation to his roof because uh, they talk about going to the roof in Superbad. And he goes up to, ah, the, to climb to, cute. Yeah, to, to finish the song uh, on the roof up in Paris. Thing is, you say you and... Fireworks. You say Ewan McGregor's not a singer, but I never would have guessed that, because he does great musical stuff in uh, Down With Love as well. Like, he oh, seems you're right. so adroit at singing and dancing. I, and I guess you're right, but I, I would have had no idea. I would have just assumed, like, Hugh Jackman. You know, he's got some musical theater background or something. He's really good at Moulin Rouge. It's one of his oh, best he's, roles. He's great. He's so great. Uh, I forgot. I, you know, I just totally uh, blanked on Down With Love. You're right. I mean, when you, when you think of, like... Actors who aren't singers, I think of like Russell Crowe and <laughs> Rob or oh, or, oh, or here's another actor, top singer, or a uh, poor Gerard Butler in Phantom of the Opera, the Joel Schumacher Phantom of the Opera. Ah, uh-huh, you saw that? What? What's wrong with that? I love Phantom that. of the Opera. Oh what? my God, I'm so crazy. Wait, you make opera. fun of me for Moulin Rouge, but you saw <laughs> an Andrew Lloyd Webber movie? Oh, like I at least have hey, Boz Lerman. No, Kelly Wan, it's a Joel Schumacher movie. Yeah, nice. you've just accepted my bluff. <laughs> and no, I don't love the movie, by the way. I love the musical. The movie is a little disappointing. I mean, mainly because of Gerard Butler, who I love, but he doesn't have the chops to be the Phantom. He does not, he does not have the pipes, Kelly Wan, to be the Phantom, if you know what I'm saying. This is Phantom! <laughs> is that what you love about him? Uh, um, Alright, so Moulin Rouge, Kelly Wan, what do you have to top that as your number two favorite? That's a really good one. Declaration that, I hate one. musicals, but that's the one musical I like. Besides paint your wagon. <laughs> I like that one. Whenever I tell a girl I love her, I sound like walking, by the way. <laughs> I love ya. Yeah. I love ya. Uh, I love ya. Yeah. Do we want to hear? I love ya. Motherfucker. <laughs> Is the girl shooting at you normally after you yeah. said that? Because <laughs> her 
of gunfire, you're at the receiving end of gunfire. Yeah. <laughs> That's when it's good. All right, Kelly Wad, what is your number two pick for a decoration? Uh, back to fictional worlds. Uh, and my number two is uh, in Risky Business when John Cusack holds up the Ghetto Blaster to Mia Sarah's window and it plays all by myself. I wondered if anybody was going to pick Say Anything. Cause, and I even thought, should I, the one. should I specify that you have to say I love you in the declaration? But I guess not. I mean, that's clearly a declaration of love. Yeah, yeah. It shows you're strong and you own radio and you know where she lives. And you know what, Kelly Wong? That's not played out at all. You know, that's not at all cliched. <laughs> that's not old or dated or hackneyed at all. That's just as fresh Alex as it was when it came out in 1974. Right. Although before then, if it had been like a gramophone... <laughs> All right, my number two pick is super bad. So, Dingus, that comes to your number one favorite favorite declaration of love. Maybe give us a line. All right, I'll give you uh, a little bit of dialogue. Uh, you're wearing the symbol. Of course, you idiot. I always wear it. I've always worn it. I've always loved you. That sounds like... Are you saying thimble or symbol? Mila Kunis to James Franco in Oz? Thimble. Thimble. Oh, uh, oh, uh, I, I know what that is. Shit to Indiana Jones, maybe. I've seen this, right, Dingus? Oh, yes, you have. Thimble. God, okay. I know what this is. Dadgummit. What she, wears, she wears a little thimble around her neck. Oh, wait. Oh, I was going to say oh. Royal Tenenbaums. But that's not a thimble. That's a fake pinky finger. No. Uh, she was a thimble around her neck. I do know what this is. That gummit. Kelly Wan, you're no help. You're never going to get this. Way. Yeah, you're fired. Of hmm. course, you idiot. I've always wanted. With I've, nail and I. I've I mean, always loved nail you. And I. Uh, I've always loved you. That sounds specific. The always. Always. The movie. A thimble. I don't know, Dingus. What is it? Alright, it's from... Well... It's from the English patient. Uh, God, I didn't remember a thimble in that. I love English patient, but all right, tell us about the scene. All right, so um, uh, her husband. Actually, real quick, before you tell us about the scene, let's go around the table. I know that some people don't like English patient. I know that at least two of us in this podcast do. Kelly Wan, are you down with English patient? Or? Yeah. Okay, good. So we're all very, very pro English patient. For a lot of reasons. I, okay, good. Uh, this is my the girls. Yeah. This is easily my favorite declaration of love, and it's it, because of his reaction. Um, it, uh, her, uh, he's in love with a woman who is married to another man, and um, who's the other man, by the way? The other man is Colin Firth. Hmm, how about that? How about he's always the other man? <laughs> and he dumb. he crashes a plane into the desert to kill him, like you do. Um, and so there's two declar- there's actually two declarations of love right here. It's uh, she says uh, he was saying he was screaming I love you as he crashed the plane to try to kill um, Count Laszlo del Amasi. Um, and this is the moment where Amasi finally gets it that Catherine loves him, uh, and he's carrying her from the plane crash to the cave. And she, you know, he notices the thimble around her neck. He's like, you're wearing the thimble I gave you. Uh, He just says, you're wearing the thimble. And she says, of course, you idiot. (laughs) I've always worn it. I've always worn it. I've always loved you. And and you just, this moment where where this grief and understanding breaks across his face is this 
stubborn character who has not understood her love for so many years. Uh, I mean, it's just this moment. I love this moment so freaking much. So when she when she finally uh, tells him, I've always loved you. So I don't. It's not that I dislike the Juliette Binoche stuff in English Patient, but I feel like it's taken me away from the part of the movie I really want to be watching. Yeah, uh, it's all and connected, I like, bro. I know it is, but I like go back to the. I guess it's landmines. Yeah, and it's all, lines. and he's in that part. Like it's you right. know, this is his fate. This is what's become of him. But I don't. You know what? When that that Sikh fellow is showing her the cave and stuff, I'm like, yeah, you guys, you got your relationship. That's great. Blah blah blah. Whatever. Let's go back to this other stuff, oh, now, shall we? Cave, really? bro. Caves. Okay, whatever. It's like the descent that it goes with the <laughs> characters outside the cave. And it would be fun to sort of ride around on the ropes with the lighting effect and sort of be showing the paintings in the the, the chamber and stuff. And a like, cave's fun when you have light and food. And the little pulley system. It's like a bungee jumping kind of thing where he's lifting her up into the air. You remember all that? Yeah. Did you see the one with her and Harrison Ford? <laughs> God. I think this is right. Where they're in a plane crash? Or no, she is. He's not. Wait, neither of them are. What movie are her, Harrison Ford and Juliet Binoche in? I don't know what this is. No, no, is. it's Kristen Scott Thomas. Oh, Chris, oh right, I'm sorry. And their spouses are sitting next to each other in a plane, and then it goes down in the ocean, and there's like a shot of them at the ocean floor sitting next to each other, the spouses, and then Harrison Ford and Kristen Scott Thomas have to like... He won't let it go, and he's like, we've got to figure out why they were sitting next to each other. Did like, you see this movie in a dream, or does it really exist? I saw what the chick who made me watch English Patient, and I went, all right, I think we've... What movie are you talking about? Thomas. Yeah. What? It's like Fucked Up Flights or something, or Bad Seeds. <laughs> that would be a great movie. Flo- is this, what, is what, it, what would that be rated? Airport 95? Uh, Kelly Wan, is this your number one pick for a favorite declaration Switching. of love? Can I just no. say real, real quickly, watching this movie again, I cannot get over how great the Gabriel Yared uh, score is. I, I, this is one of my favorite movie scores. And um, as as he carries her from the plane wreckage over to the cliff, it is unimaginably beautiful. And the music is just so beautiful. I mean, this movie looks incredible that that, mo- that moment that moment where she says i've always loved you and he breaks down and then he carries her across that that cliff while gabriel yard's score plays oh my god it's so, just so great random the, arts was the name what, of the movie. what's the deal with some people who don't like english patient what's their problem i don't know they just they thought that uh who wrote it michael and Donche? how do you say his name i think it's just on Donche. Um, uh, Michael and Dunge, they said he wasn't. It wasn't perfectly realized. I don't. I have no idea. I think it's a. I think it's. Oh, like they uh, had right. expectations yeah, about the book or something. I guess so. Tom hates know. that. All right. I didn't read the book. That's my trick to enjoying it. You know that scene you're describing, Dingus. I think, and a lot of people probably felt this way. It reminds me a lot of the scene in Oblivion where Tom Cruise is carrying Olga Kurylenko over to that little cave when she's wounded. You know? Did, did yeah, you also yeah, think yeah. Of that? Yeah. I remember thinking that in 1996 <laughs> when I was watching this movie. I was thinking, this is going to remind me of that movie. 
The girl is such patient with cried. Like she goes, "We're going to cry during this." And I'm like, "You've seen it like five times, and now you're making, you're subjecting me to it, so you're not going to cry again." And then when I looked over, like she was crying. Like, did you elbow her in the ribs, Kelly Wan? Give her just a nice hearty elbow in the ribs. <laughs> the There's ribs. some movies, and I, English Patient might be one of them. There's some movies where I I can cry. I've seen them like you know ten, twelve times, and I'll, they'll still hit me. Um, so this girl, I I can sympathize like with Armageddon. her. Armageddon, I cry every time. When Bruce Willis like knocks punches Ben Affleck so that he can't go down and punch the button to detonate the asteroid, that's powerful stuff, Kelly Wand. Like the gray. <laughs> uh, Kelly Wand, speaking of yeah, movies that you speaking of movies that you didn't get, what's your favorite declaration of love in a movie? <laughs> in, you mean besides dinner with schmucks? Dinner for dinner of schmucks. Uh, <laughs> If I can bring the house down with seriousness for a moment, I did. I saw something recently. What was it called? It's called like, oh, it's called Cottage Country, and it's uh, it's Malin Ackerman and some sort of a pudgy uh. dude. It might have even been Chris Pratt. Oh, that would be a weird coincidence to suddenly not. Wait, was that Chris Pratt? At any rate, uh, your other. No, I think it was Chris Pratt, and I didn't. I could be wrong, but at any rate, the premise is. Uh, a couple has a, a sort of a timeshare cottage where they want to go for a vacation, but unfortunately, the the guy's loser brother and his girlfriend are there at the same time, so they engineer on accident to murder these other two people, and so they don't have to share the cottage anymore. But the the wacky, the dude's girlfriend, who's annoying you they didn't want there, is Lucy Punch doing a crazy heavy Russian accent, and it is absolutely adorable. Why are you going, ugh? No, it's because it's too much Steve Carell-related co-stars. But go on. I'm totally on board for Lucy Punch doing a wrestling accent. Yeah, yeah, it's totally hot. It was great. Like, uh, that. once they kill her, I'm like, okay, well, I'm done with this movie. This movie isn't going to have Lucy Punch doing a Russian accent. And Dingus, I showed you this. Speaking of chicks doing awesome Russian accents, remember me showing you that movie with Sally Hawkins coming up to buy a Christmas tree from Paul Giamatti and Paul Rudd. <laughs> and for whatever reason in this movie, Sally Hawkins is going to be super hardcore Russian. That was just so hot. <laughs> like Kermit. You'll you'll bring it to my apartment. <laughs> right, right. Because you're not doing it quite as hot as her, but I appreciate your attempt. Uh, Kelly Wand, let's uh, get out of these shenanigans by you telling us your favorite declaration of love from a motion picture. Oh, so that Harrison Ford Chris Scott Thomas movie was called Random Hearts, and the girl didn't cry, even though it was the same girl during Random Hearts. Okay, and that's your favorite declaration? Oh, no. At the end of... Okay, whatever one... I, I think it was the Widowmaker movie. At the end of Come with the Wind. Did you, were you going to call, is the Widowmaker really K9? K19. Oh, K19. Okay, because K9 would be a little ridiculous. That's Jim Belushi. Although that, the K9 guys K9. Yeah, K9 the Widowmaker would be like Jim Belushi dies. and a St. Bernard. Yeah. Why is there a dog on the submarine? Oh, is this, is this Crimson Tide? He sniffs out the radiation. But that's that was my number one was when the dog sniffed out the radiation. But I changed it for at the end of Gone with the Wind when Vivian Lee asks Clark Butler if he gives a damn about other women, and he's all nope. So that's your number one. Yeah. All right. Uh, so what I had to go with, even though this came up on a three by three for favorite instances of prayer, uh, I just so love that moment at the end of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon uh, when uh, Chow Yun Fat. Is, has been poisoned, and he has to meditate so that the poison doesn't reach his heart more quickly while someone rides off to get the antidote, and he's sitting there with Michelle Yeoh, and he realizes he's not going to make it, 
And all throughout this movie, it's been this, you know, he doesn't, we know they're in love with each other, but they just don't say it because they're both, for, for various reasons, they can't. And just as he's about to die, he says, the, the line is, um, I want to tell you with my last breath, I have always loved you. And then, you know, they, they do get to kiss, so he has enough breath left to kiss her, which is awesome mm-hmm. for him, but then he dies. And uh, then he infects her. But I love at that moment that it is basically him renouncing all of his beliefs. He's renouncing the afterlife. He is announce, renouncing eternity, everything metaphysical. He's throwing it all away just so he can say, I love you to her. Well, he's already poisoned, though, too. So it's kind of like. That's a good point, Kelly Warned. Uh, so that is basically reusing something from a three by three we did, uh, I guess, three episodes ago. But I couldn't help it. I don't, I don't think. I mean, I love that English patient pick, Dingus. That is awesome. Thank so, you. Um, what about my numbers? Uh, yours were uh, interesting. How about me, Coach? <laughs> Do I have heart? Love, love is like a, a heart attack, for real. If you think about it. The more you know. Paul Weimer writes, Hi, guys. I hope no doctor, with but... the Lego movie that everything is awesome. Uh, By the way, that song is such a freaking earworm that I've had going for so long. I was so delighted to discover it's ironic. Yeah, I was too, because uh, I do a lot of substitute teaching in elementary school classrooms. And every time over the last few weeks when I've said, okay, you guys are doing an awesome job. If I say the word awesome – 15% 15% of the class will start to go, yeah, they'll immediately launch into that, and I just want to pull my ears out, and to find out that it's ironic is wonderful. Yeah. I do like that the only song in the movie is the song created by the evil villain. Right. <laughs> to brainwash I love that it's the catchiest. It's an acoustic version. <laughs> All right, so Paul oh, yeah. Weaver writes, favorite declarations of love, number three, the line is, at least I got to see you one last time. Uh, and Paul explains this is the death and transformation scene at the end of Beauty and the Beast. Ah. He writes, I know Kelly doesn't watch movies with titles that start and end with words beginning with the letter B, and it's animated, but, Paul writes, this scene moved me. I actually don't know it. Dingus. The word and is a turnoff for me as well. Can you, can you, uh, declarations of back up Paul Weimer on this? Is there an awesome declaration it of transforms. Beauty and the Beast? Well, probably beast. the beast. Or beauty know. becomes ugly, and it's beasts. Like you're thinking, you're thinking of you're th- yes. I was going to say you're thinking of Shrek. That's uh, the rich man. Uh. Dingus, can you back Paul up on this? Is Beauty and the Beast good? I'm, I can't yes and him here. I'm not going to negate him. I just uh, I Beauty and the Beast wasn't a movie I particularly liked, so I had what? To remember. All right. I remember liking it. Well, then maybe Dingus, you can identify this line, which is Paul Weimer's number two pick. The line is quote. I came here tonight because when you realize you want to spend the rest of your life with somebody, you want the rest of your life to start as soon as possible. Yeah, I shied away from this. Huh, why would you do that, Dingus? When Harry met Sally, obviously. Why would you shy away from that, Dingus? Yeah, why would you? Dingus owns a poster for that movie. What happened to your declaration of love for that movie? Because I knew that the derision I would get from the two of you... Why can't you just be happy for it? Well, it's a good point. Why can't you just be happy for it? You guys trying to do an imitation of uh, Mark Wahlberg? I was doing Donnie, actually. Uh, Paul Weimer's number one pick. Here's the line. Paul. Uh, The line is, as you wish, and it is Wesley to Buttercup, Mm -hmm. the Princess Bride. Uh, Oh, that's that's good. That's That's not a declaration of love. It is. 
It is. Because she realizes when he says that, that that's what he's actually saying is, I love you. When he says, I wish, as you wish, what he's actually saying is that. That's a great choice. Is that, that, in, is that, in, is that, that in the movie, Dingus, or are you just making that up? No, no, no. That's actually in the voiceover. All right. Okay, fair yeah. enough. That's a great choice, it. Paul. Boom. Good work, Paul. We support you. Yeah. Jonathan J. Lando DePropna writes, uh, let's see, uh, some stuff, and I'm going to cut to a quote from his third. His third pick is, <laughs> quote, probably just said, happy I birthday. Right. Quote, so why don't you use the regular army? What do you need us for? Because don't some damn fool accused you of being the best. Uh, I choose Predator when Apollo Creed makes his first appearance and he and Arnold show their love the way men did in the 80s with an awkward handshake slash arm wrestle thing while questioning each other's masculinity. It's very cute. Huh. It's a uh, <laughs> this seems like a theme for Jonathan J. Lando DiPratna because his number two pick, he's diverting me to a YouTube clip, which the listeners would not be able to hear, so... Uh, he then explains that the YouTube clip is from Point Break, <laughs> from when Utah realizes that he actually fell for the people he was undercover for, a la Fast and Furious, and when he has to choose between shooting his new best friend forever or the sky, you better believe the clouds are going to get a gut full of lead. I'm not remembering this scene. I'm guessing it involves skydiving. Does Keanu Reeves uh, not to shoot Patrick Swayze when they're skydiving? Is that which what's one's going? Utah? That's Keanu Reeves, isn't it? He's yeah, Johnny. He's, he's Johnny. I know Utah. he's Minnesota. He's a football player. Like Minnesota. Ah, very good. I know what, that Jack Webb. What is he in my own private Idaho? He is the male lead. Uh, and Jonathan J. Lando DePratt's number one pick. Uh, the line is: "This is for Matilda." He says it's such a sweet moment from Leon the Professional. It may not be the first declaration of love, but it is the most meaningful and his own favorite. As his runner-up, uh, all the scenes from Rocky. Uh, he <laughs> says Adrian? it's. I guess so. Yeah, and he says it's. He concedes or, that it's a little sexual predatory. He gets really pushy. I guess she likes it, but nothing about her reactions. Ew! Whatever. He seduces it's, her with his armpit. Uh, Arthur Giovanangeli. Sorry for butchering your name yet again, Arthur. <laughs> we appreciate you writing us in. His number three pick, the line is, I just want to make sure that the first person who kisses you loves you. Okay? I love you, Charlie. Uh, oh, I haven't seen this feel like I should. It's from The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Uh, he says it's a really nice scene between Sam, played by Emma Watson, and Charlie, played by Logan Lerman. Who's that? Do we know who Logan Lerman is? He sounds like a friend of Kellen Lutz, but I should. No, he, he's, uh, he's probably really good. I don't know. Uh, at any rate, uh, Arthur says it's a really nice scene between the two of them, and while there may be some initial confusion about the nature of their love for each other, it doesn't diminish the warmth of Sam's declaration. Movies about high schoolers are very common, but this one really captures the parts that you'll remember for the rest of your days. So, Dingus, wouldn't you say that's kind of like the spectacular now? Uh, later. Uh, I school very often. That's what I remember most about it was not being there. Tom, thoughts? Yeah, uh, I'm just going to go with Virgin Suicides. Okay. Okay. Uh, Arthur's number two pick. Here's a little dialogue. Everything's going to be all right because I love you very much. Say it again. I love you. Not today. Um, I don't know that my line reading <laughs> helped. Smoking the Bandit. But no, that was apparently from the Prestige. 
what seems at first like a cute little quirk in the relationship between Christian Bale and Rebecca Hall turns out to be a clue, oh, yeah, to unlocking one of the movie's major secrets. Remember when I told you I thought Christopher Nolan directed As You See Me? Wait, now you see me. Now you see me. (laughs) That's Kelly Wan's idea of a Christopher Nolan movie. Now you see me. Because Morgan Freeman and Michael Caine were both in, I got confused. Good point. They only work with Christopher Nolan. Batman does die in that one, though. Uh, Arthur's number one pick, the line is, I loved Sarah, Charles. It was mine, that love. I owned it. Even Sarah didn't have the right to take it away. I can love whoever I want. But she thought you were pathetic. That was her business, not mine. You are what you... Oh, nice. Okay. I would have just gone with this line. You are what you love, not what loves you. That's what I decided a long time ago. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Arthur, just cut to the... We don't need the whole exchange. Just cut to the meat of the the line there. So that is an excellent one, Arthur. Yeah, that's Uh, great. So that's Arthur's pick from Adaptation. In this scene, Donald Kaufman does not declare his love to the object of his affections, but rather to his brother. Uh, still, Donald does make a declaration of love, and so I, and so shall I. I love this scene and this movie. The ending scene between Charlie and Amelia, played by oh, what is her name? I love that actress. Oh, Dad Gummit. Oh, right. Uh, She's like kind of English and frail, and she. Plays. Yeah, I used to know her name. Oh, come on. Um, she's so uh, cute in it too. She's adorable. Uh, she's adorable in everything. She plays uh, uh, Cameron Bright's mother in Birth. Dingus, help me out here. What is her name? Don't oh. make me Google this. I will Google this, you guys. I will now? Google this. You wouldn't believe. Um, it's not... Um... Random Hearts. <sighs> is her name? Uh, not, not Leslie... Not a Leslie. You're thinking of Leslie Man. Greta Gerwig. I have cheated. And it's, nope. Kara Seymour. Shit. I know. We you all know what? I don't think I would have gotten it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I thought she had the Ep- different... Epic fail. Yeah, on all of our parts. I'm sure Arthur would have known. Arthur... I'd know it if I was, you know... That's I a had... great choice, though. That's a really That is a great pick. Choice. That Donald Charlie Coffin scene is a great pick. Yeah. Uh, Alexander Burns writes, Hey, y'all, could be a little bit of a stretch, but the ending of... Oh, I don't know about this. Well, you're a tough cookie when it comes to love, Tom. I, I want to like this, especially have, after having sat through all eight episodes of True Detective. But anyway, he writes, it could be a Spoiler. bit of a stretch, but the ending of Killer Joe could certainly oh. be a declaration of love for oh, those Oh, it totally parents. is. Maybe not necessarily for each other, but, well, never mind. I would hate to spoil it for others. Uh, uh, and then he says he's got to run because his stepmom just brought home some KFC. Oh, understandable. That's appropriate. <laughs> oh, what? Is that Kelly Wand? You're not... Uh, Alexander Burns is being all sly, and you're going to ruin it. <laughs> no, I got it slowly, the way Thomas Hayden Church's character would have been. <laughs> right. I'm not aware, Tom. Dave Perkins writes quotes. Uh, oh, and then he doesn't tell us what movie they're from. So I just intuit it because we're experts it. on the topic of love. And <laughs> yeah, so these are a bunch of quotes, except for his number one pick is from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. It's let your soul rise to eternity with your last breath. Don't waste it on me. Which, Dave Perkins, that's Michelle Yeoh's line to Chow Yun-Fat. She has not declared that she loves it. That is well, not that's a way said. of declaring She then says, you know what? Screw you. I'm going to do it. I love you. Suck it. That's that's well, my paraphrase of what he says. Right. Uh, I don't know his number. So his number three pick is. Oh, actually, okay. I that's do how know Tom would have phrased it. Here's his. 
Here's his number three pick. I actually recognize this one. Okay. Last breath. Suck it. And I'm going to cut one little line from this where a name is said because this will give it away. Here you go. Uh, here's a quote from Dave Perkins, number three pick. Do you like my car? Because I wanted, you know, I wanted to make sure you thought it was cool, or else I was going to take it back. Happy New Year. I love you. I really love you. <laughs> That's a great one. I love that. <laughs> Kelly, why do you recognize it? No, but I just realized I like the one in Dumb and Dumber when he goes, Goodbye, my love. And Here, Kelly Wan, then I'll do Kelly Wan, this is about Dave Perkins' pick, not yours. Yeah, All right, sorry. sorry. Kelly Wan, I'm going to read you the, re- the line as Dave Perkins wrote it, which is right. an extra name. Ready? That'll help. Do you like my car, Dirk? Because I, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure you thought it was cool. Oh, uh, PSH. Happy New Year. I love you. I really love you. Oh, uh, that one's sad. That's a great one. It's sad. I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. I'm such an idiot. Yeah, it's an idiocy declaration too. It's a great fold one, in. Um, and that was another line role Tom was up for, but unconvincing as. <laughs> I'm such an idiot. That's stage direction. So did we actually say what it was? Oh right, it's from Boogie Nights. Philip Seymour Hoffman to uh, Mark Wahlberg in Boogie Nights, and now let's have some Mark Wahlberg impressions. Kelly Wan, give us your best Mark Wahlberg. Why can't you just be happy for me? Uh, so, Dave, you've put your number two here, but I don't know the line, and I don't. You, you have to give us what movie it's from before I can read it. I'm afraid. Sorry. That was actually my Albert Brooks. Uh, Will and Aaron Flashbart, right? <laughs> um, we're just gonna we're gonna totally skip his number two. I don't. I in, there's no. He doesn't say what it is. He doesn't list a movie. He gives us a snippet of dialogue. The whole planet's apes. Uh, so Will and Aaron, their number three pick is Hackers. It's an inaudible declaration of love. In the final scene, Dade takes Kate to a rooftop pool from which they can see his declaration of love. The words crash and burn laid out in lit windows flashing across three skyscrapers. Mm, that's how you get in there. Dingus, you, I think, are, might, might be the so hackers expert on this podcast. Do you accept that one? Is that a good I know one? Sneakers. I'm, I'm happy to accept Hackers. Oh, I'm thinking of Sneakers, too. Oh. The second oh. one? Electric Boogaloo? <laughs> what is Hackers? What do you mean, it's what without is Hackers? Are you kidding? No? What is it? I'm thinking of Sneakers. What is Hackers? It's the same Hackers principle. Hackers is uh, Angelina Jolie. It's Giant Lee Miller. It's... Uh, oh, Fisher Stevens? Fisher Stevens. Yeah, I've never seen it. I, That's I, the name. You've that never we... seen Hackers? Are you Why crazy? would I see that? Why not? You know what? I'll see, I'll see Swordfish before I'll see Hackers. Because I know uh, it's Swordfish. Swordfish. Hugh Jackman plays a hacker, right? It's got Halle Berry's Yeah, knob. and Halle Berry... Oh. Halle Berry's knobs are a terrible part of that movie. I mean, whatever. I've seen those in Monsters Ball. I don't care. No, but they're better lit in Swordfish. What ebbs Kelly Wand? She's all. <laughs> She's oh, all boom. About it. Uh, who directed Hackers, Dinkus? Anyone Billy remember? Bob. Uh, his name is Ian something. <sighs> Darn it. I don't no, but no one of note. Okay. Note. So no, Will and Aaron. Did, I think he did. Um, I don't know what else he did. Sorry. All right. So uh, Will and Aaron's number three pick was Hackers. Their number two pick is Broadcast News. It's unrequited love. Aaron finally tells Jane how he really feels about her. Alas, it is not to be. Uh, and they kindly include some dialogue, but I don't think I could do it justice. Who are Aaron and Jane, by the way? Uh, Albert Brooks and Holly. Uh, William Hurt doesn't declare love. He's already having sex with people. Unless it's Kathleen Turner. What was the question? Uh, who are is is this Albert, Albert Brooks and Holly Hunter? Okay, he's in love with Holly Hunter. That's how few. And she's not into him. She's like the chicken no, eating the two. She's, based on. she's into, into William Hurt. William Hurt, yeah. Oh, that's sad. 
It's a problem yeah. for all concerned. Does it? Does it hurt. I guess so. He's <laughs> fine. Okay with it. Uh, all right. Uh, and the number one pick from William and Aaron all is out. The number one pick from William and Aaron is Terminator. This is an example of requited love. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read this line. John Connor gave me a picture of you once. I didn't know why at the time. It was very old, torn, faded. You were young like you are now. You seemed just a little sad. I used to always wonder what you were thinking at that moment. I memorized every line, every curve. I came across time for you, Sarah. I love you. I always have. And that's the line that should, of course, have I came across oceans of time for you, Sarah, because that's when I was trying to look up the line about oceans of time. I thought it was from Terminator and instead was from Dracula. It should be, I came across oceans of time for you, Sarah, right? Because Gary Oldman crosses oceans of time for Winona Ryder and And Oceans Dracula. Just because she looks like a chick he was once married to centuries earlier. But in Uh, Terminator, does he say no matter what occurs? The time stream's in love with itself, really. How about, how did you guys feel about the line, come with me if you don't want to die? I love that. Really? I was yeah. like, uh, I don't know. I didn't need that. Okay. Torted. I was fine with it. Well, really? Just, just, just rip it off then. Yeah, just take the line. It's perfectly yeah, good. Are you kidding? I guess it's because it's a PG movie. They can't yeah. rip sexual death. That's, that's the joke. Whatevs. What's uh, right? That's how that line works. Just as, like, mm-hmm. when Batman, when, I don't know, I guess whatever the first character was <laughs> that died, that dropped into the movie, I'm like, well, that seems, that was weird. And my son leaned over and goes, Seems kind of random, doesn't it? And then all these other characters start flopping into the movie like raindrops. I mean, it was just, it's totally a joke of like, why is Batman in here? Oh, they're all going to be in here. So that, that's like that, that line was fine. Right. Come with right. me if you don't want to die. It's, it's, a, it's a joke on PG-13. Come on. It's a kid's joke, according to the movie's logic. It's a joke for us. It was for us. I didn't want it. I sent it back. Uh, yeah. There's no terminators. Uh, Nick Dingle writes uh, some quotes. Here's a quote. I love to look at you. I love to talk to you. I love your openness. I love what you do. I love you. It sounds like a poem. Uh, this is from an obscure... I love when this happens. I have no idea what he's talking about. Uh, Nick writes, this is from an obscure Canadian romance called When Night is Falling. Mm. Wait, isn't that that... What's the Javier Bardem in Cuba thing? Barcelona, Vicky Before Christine. Night Falls? All right. Okay. After night falls. Pines falling on cedars. I know what you're talking about. Pond. Yeah. Pines. So this, oh. this is from a Canadian romance called When Night is Falling from 1995. Uh, romances about two gay characters tend to be a little cliche, and this one isn't all that different. The free and sexually liberated actress seduces the closeted, upright university professor away from her husband. What elevates this film is a wonderfully earnest performance by the gorgeous Pascal Bussiers? I don't know who that is. Who really I don't sells the case said it? Who really sells the line I quoted above? What she's I, selling, I'm buying. Pascal Bussiers. Uh, and then Nick Dingle's number two pick. I love you. Why don't we say that every day? Why can't we say it more often? That is a great. Hey, aw- that is a great awkward. <laughs> is, drunk- it, is Mark Wahlberg in this movie, Tom? <laughs> so can we great, say it more often? <laughs> it is a great awkward drunken declaration of love between two best friends. Is as it should be in Superbad. Let's see. That's and there, here's a whole bit of dialogue. I don't know that I can do this. Uh, hey, Norm, you know we're doing pretty good. I love you, Margie. I love you, Norm. Two more Cheers. months. Two more months. 
That's Fargo. Yeah. My favorite declaration of love from a husband to a wife is the final scene of Fargo, Nick Ningle writes. It's a celebration of simple love and life in five short sentences and is the perfect ending. Oh, it's the ending. Nice. To the only Coen Brothers film I can think of, which holds such warmth of affection for its characters. Everything those two characters say to each other is a declaration of love, though. Like when they're watching TV, even. Doesn't one of them, he doesn't, doesn't his stamp, for you. his stamp doesn't get accepted, or his art doesn't get accepted for a stamp of a duck? It gets I, accepted for the penny ones, and yeah. he's bumming about it, and she's all, no, but that means people ah. are for change, and she cheers him. Oh, nice! Oh, right. I like that even right. better. cuter. It's a good night cute. Very good. Good night cute. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Hornbossel writes, uh, Clueless, when Cher is trying to rationally sort through her feelings and suddenly realizes, oh my god, I love Josh. I don't know what that is. Uh, Josh, Josh is her unrelated sort of stepbrother, although it's still kind of ick. The way Alicia Silverstone plays the line, her own declaration seems to take her completely by surprise. Declarations of love don't need to be to another person to provoke a reaction, and I love how much that scene captures something true-seeming about teenage puppy love. Clueless, huh? Well, there's no other guy in the movie that she's done better with. Haha, <laughs> you saw Clueless. Yeah. <laughs> Clueless. It's got all the answers. <laughs> but when, when Cher is trying to rationally sort through her feelings, what? She realizes... Because Paul Rudd barks at her because she's racist to the maid, and then she realizes she loves him. Cher and Paul Rudd are in love with each other in Clueless? It's not the Cher you're thinking of. Oh, Cher is the character's name. All right, that. Why would there be a character named Cher in a movie? That makes no sense. Because of Beverly Hills. All right. Uh, Chris Hornbossel's number two. At the end of Royal Tenenbaums, you have dual. Dec- uh, you have dual. Wait a minute. Well, you have dual declarations of love without anyone using any words that contain the word love. Uh, I don't know, Chris. Uh, he, Chris writes, I'm talking, of course, about the scene where Royal buys the Dalmatian and gives it to Chaz to give it to his sons. It's a beautiful act of fatherly love, stepping in to try to fix the unfixable. Chaz returns the unspoken declaration of love with his own, I've had a rough year, Dad. Which is a great line. I don't know if it's a declaration of love, but fair enough. Uh, Chris writes, what I really love about the scene is that it doesn't pretend everything is fixed between the two, but you can see the love and guess that things can be eventually repaired between them. That's what love is, Tom. Fair enough. Uh, Chris Hornbossel's number one pick, the end of Almost Famous, when William finally gets his interview with Russell Hammond. What? <laughs> uh... Uh, okay. Oh, here we go. So Chris explains Wait. himself. Uh, he asks him a terrible interview question. Chris writes, the question is, what do you love about music? Director Cameron Crowe lets a beat go by. Russell stands up and flips his chair around and pulls the mic close. He pauses. In that time, when I first saw the movie, my mind went racing on ways that I would answer the question. Technical things, geeky things, nostalgic things. For fans of anything, movies, games, music, whatever, that question is just so big, it feels impossible to answer. But while I'm in the audience struggling over how I'd answer the question, on screen, Russell breaks into a wide grin and nails it. He says, to start with, everything. Yes, Chris writes that. My favorite declaration of love in a movie. That's what the Legos would say at the beginning in the song. Who's Russell, by the way? Is that uh, He's Billy Crudup? Yeah. Okay. Who else is he trying to score an interview with? Kate Hudson. <laughs> the Lester Br- trying to score. 
Lester Banks, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh. No, he, he's that's, from the beginning. That's the person I'd want to interview in that movie. Yeah, but he's already an interviewer. You don't interview a guy who's already... See how meta I'm thinking, Kelly Wand? Oh, like a Lego. <laughs> Kid. <laughs> Uh, and then finally, Scott Andrews writes, say it with flowers. Right? Uh, the quote is, I found this at my front door as though somebody had just left it there. Uh, oh, oh, this is sweet. Uh, Tanya finds a metal flower left by Wickus at the end of District 9. Perhaps the only way Wickus could still show his love. Oh. Does she know it's from him? Sad. I don't think it's... Yeah. Uh, and then here, oh, good Lord, I don't know what to make of this. Uh, I can't do justice to this dialogue, but here we go. I love you, man. I love you too, bud. I love you, dude. I love you, bro, Montana. I love you, Holmes. I love you, Broseph Goebbels. I love you, Muchacha. I love you, Tycho Brahe. <laughs> Those are apparently exchanged declarations uh, at the end of I love you, man. <laughs> See? More Paul Rudd. Most loved. <laughs> okay, now runners up. Kelly Wan, you had one you wanted to, to mention earlier. What, what's another runner up for you? Um, I don't know. All right, uh, Dingus, runners up. <laughs> um, one of my favorite ones that I just sort of found looking through my uh, collection this evening was I love these animals. <laughs> Fantastic, Mr. Fox. Animal Farm. Um, Twelve Monkeys. Planet of the Apes. Like a like a retcon version where they get along with Charles Heston. I mean, Mark Wahlberg. Oh, well, well I, I, can I guess, Dingus? Is it Evan Almighty? It is not. It's not an actual movie, unfortunately. What? It's a documentary. Let me guess. Black True Detectives. It's not Blackfish. Tango and Oh, wait. Grizzly Man? Yes. I will die for these animals. I will die for these animals. I'm Gee, so dig it. Ew, that's Sorry. gross. Yeah, I know, but but uh, Timothy, what's his name? Uh, Timothy, Larry? Uh, Timothy uh, Treadwell. Thank you. Timothy Treadwell says, I'm, so, I'm, I'm in love with these animals. Yeah, well, yeah, okay. That's a little right. misguided. <laughs> I had this great moment where, so, uh, so Dingus and I are roommates. I don't know if folks know that. And when Dingus moved in with me, he brought a dog, and I wasn't crazy about the dog, but I was fine with it. I mean, I knew, okay, he's got a dog, fine. I'm happy to live with Dingus. So I'll take his dog. And over the course of <laughs> Dingus living here, man, I love this dog. I'm so crazy I about this Dingus. silly little dog that I love. I never was a dog person, but I'm crazy about this little dog, and that makes me like more dogs, I think. So I was out the other day somewhere, and there was a guy, and, and when you have a dog, you feel like you can talk to other people with dogs. It's like a club. Everybody who has a dog can talk to everybody else who has a dog. And I didn't realize this until Dingus, Dingus' dog is here. And so now I feel like I'm in this dog club. So when I see somebody with a dog, I can talk to him or her. So there's a dude with a dog. It's a big old pretty Labrador retriever at this restaurant that I like here. And he made the dog wait out front, and he came in to order. And I was like, well, you know what? I have a dog. I'm, I'm in the dog club. I'm going to talk to this guy. And I said, hey, it's a good-looking dog out there. And he was like, yeah. And so he knew I was in the dog club, and we're talking about his dog. And I said, can I go out there, and can I, can I, can I scratch the dog's ears? He was like, yeah, sure. So I went out there with this big old fat lab, and it was like roly-poly. And, it, uh, and I started scratching this dog's ears, and I realized this dog doesn't know me. You know, I might feel like 
dogs are cute and they're awesome everywhere, but there's definitely something about a dog that knows you versus a dog that doesn't know you. And the dog was fine. It was letting me scratch it and like it didn't seem like it was going to attack me. But I remember looking at this dog's eyes and thinking, this dog does not know me and I don't know this dog. And I just mistook my fondness for Dingus's dog and realized I can't apply that same level of interaction <laughs> to other dogs. And it made me think of this line in Grizzly Man where <laughs> Werner Herzog is narrating the movie and he says something about Timothy Treadwell feeling like he loved the bears and knew the bears. And Werner Herzog says something in the voiceover about, when I look in these animals' eyes, I can only see the vast indifference of nature. And I felt that way scratching this other random dog's ears the other night. So, <laughs> tell that story. Wait, what's that got to do with... <laughs> I don't know. I don't my, know. My declaration of love made Tom think of Buddha Herzog. Being yeah. The best I didn't think that story was going to end with a Herzog quote. <laughs> began with dogs. That is so, that is so amazing. I love Who doesn't that like dog. dogs? Why do you think you I'm have fine with them. I mean, they're, they're fine, like but I was never that crazy into them. But, uh, but you like movie dogs. Mm, um, you know, like classy. He likes like Abby, and he too. likes Sam. Yeah. He likes Abby. Yeah, I like Sam. Some of them are. Right. Well, yeah, movie dogs are, you know, they're like actors. They're bred to be appealing. What, you don't and think of they're not like... that cute? And... Okay, here's one, Kelly Wan. Benji, whatever. I don't care. No, Benji rules. He fucking really? owns kidnappers. Yeah. Ben, doesn't Benji end up in Road Warrior? It's not the same dog. That's not a dog. <laughs> That's another dog. All right, so the, the other uh, declaration of love... I would have to say would be when uh, when they declare love for Rushmore in Rushmore. Did they? For the school Rushmore? Yeah. Oh. Hmm. I liked when they declared love for Mount Rushmore in Nebraska. Dingus, I thought you were going to bring up the punch drunk love bit. No. I thought... Why? Isn't that a declaration of love? Or like, I love you so much. Drunk I want to... love. It is. But I thought we kind of played that out. Okay, well, there's a great declaration of love in Punch Drunk Love that Dingus is reluctant to mention. Uh, here's one that I like that I don't think you guys like. Uh, it involves, uh, I'm going to screw up his name, Spencer Clark William Spencer Clark Treat. Oh, the guy who played Higgins on Magnum? No, what's that kid's name from Unbreakable? Spencer Treat Clark? Haley Joel Osment. Dingus, help me out. You you recognize this guy. Spencer Clark Treat? What's his name? I just said it, fucked hard. I don't know what you're talking about. Who's Unbreakable? the kid? Yeah, the kid from Unbreakable who plays Bruce Willis. Oh, that's good. Spencer Treat Clark, right? Something like that. At any rate, he grew up and he was in this movie called Last Exorcism Part 2. And he's kind of going out with Ashley Bell at some point. But this demon that had possessed Ashley Bell in the first movie is still in love with her. And that's the premise of Last Exorcism Part 2. And at one point, the demon declares his love for her by possessing her boyfriend – played by Spencer Treat Clark, whatever his name is, and having the boyfriend say to her, he loves you so much, and then slit his own throat. Oh, 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 that's a great one. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, you guys hated that movie. I'm the only one who liked that movie. You no, can't like no. a moment from that movie. Ew, no, don't. but I like that moment. That's a great okay. moment. That's a great moment. I don't hate and, that movie. And also the declaration of love when he gets her her Doc Martens back. Like, I love that. that he gets her her nice shoes at the end. Uh, spoiler, I guess. I mean, it's a terrible movie, but that moment where he, he says that's uh, great. Yeah, it's a good shit in it. Yeah, it's a great I movie. I forget why I didn't like it. That. That's that's I do like it. Uh, I think Dingus, you got a little Dingus rubbed off on you, which is why you didn't like it. If you got more of me rubbed off on you, you would have loved Last Exorcism Part 2. Good point. Yeah. 
Uh, all right. So, uh, Dingus, it looks like it's your three by three next week. What do you have for us? All right. This is the word I have, and um, this is only a word. Uh, and I, it's because I saw this on a poster a few weeks ago, and I was like, "What the heck is that?" Dingus, and, was it a cat poster with the word "believe" on it? It is not. Okay. It's um, it's the word sabotage, and so this is your favorite. <laughs> Your favorite instances of sabotage in movies. Huh. You saw it on a poster. The David yep. Ayers movie, the Training Day Fellows, doing a, a Schwarzenegger movie called Sabotage. For some reason, I think there's other people in it that I make me want to see it, but I forget who. Arnie? Oh, oh no, no. Uh, Gina Carano. Yeah, uh, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. When does that come out, Dingus? When can we see it? I guess uh, if Dingus has seen posters, we can see it soon. I have no idea when it's coming out, but I just know that it's been buzzing around in the back of my head, and then I started thinking about things, and so sabotage. All right. Favorite instances of sabotage in movies? Will you be fielding questions on this, Dingus, from Kelly Wand? No, I won't. Okay. So. There's grass on the field. All right, nope. Sorry. No questions allowed. Sabotage. Do you have any instances of sabotage you want to tell us about? We would love to hear your picks. They should be from movies. Uh, don't think we're going to start talking about TV just because we're doing a True Detective podcast next week. What? <laughs> Send us your favorite instances of sabotage to 3 by 3 at quarter to 3com That's the number three. The letter X, the number three, at, and then spell out quarter to three.com. If we are ever a day late or whatever, or changing the movie we're going to see, it will be announced on Twitter. So follow us, and by us I mean me, follow me on Twitter, uh, and I'll be, any announcements that need to be made in connection with the podcast, I'll be putting up on my tweet account, whatever. Come on, twerk. Uh, <laughs> and that's at QT3, letter Q, letter T, number three. Um and let's see. So next week, we will have all seen all eight episodes of True Detective. We are doing this because there's a lot of movie-related stuff in it, and because it's not TV, it's HBO. Uh, and because we don't want to see Divergent. As much as we love and a little Woodley, we, we don't want to see Because the Wes Anderson movie is only playing in the day for two more days until it moves to fucking Baltimore or some shit. Oh, no. That – because Kelly Wan lives in the boondocks and doesn't have the courtesy to live in greater Los Angeles like those of us who really love movies. Right. So yeah, that's true. Kelly Wan. Yeah. Forgot. Uh, so join us for that next week. True Detective, a podcast about eight hours of not TV but HBO uh, and a three-by-three three of our favorite instances of sabotage. I am Tom Chick, and I have been here with Christian Molkrowski. Uh It's uh, Brakowski. <laughs> Wait, oh, what's the line? Uh, Dingus, get your retro spaceman crap out of my area. <laughs> I think it might have paraphrased some of that. <laughs> you get your retro space guy out of my area. And That's Sherlock Holmes. All right, it's, it's Christian Morosky, fine. Uh, and we also had Kelly Wand. It's Christian Morosky. Why can't you just be happy for me? And music used to rule. I agree with Cameron for his ultimate ego.
I guess Will Smith's not our dad, huh, Dingus? I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this see you later, I guess.